Hello, and welcome to the Shea Hates Everything podcast, where we talk about video games, movies, comics, and other shit that matters. My name is Shay, and today I hate when I'm holding my daughter and I smell something, and I look down, and she's blown out poop all over me. <laughs> my name is Kyle, and today I hate last night, Kyle. Did you also poop yourself? Uh, is that what this is about? Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny these <laughs> allegations. <laughs> No, I, so I worked an event last night and then a friend of mine from out of town was in town. So after I'd worked for like 12 hours, mm. I chugged a Red Bull and mm. then I went to the bar, had a huge beer, and then they came back to my house where I had a Red Bull vodka, mm-hmm. a rum and Coke, mm-hmm. and then a gin and tonic. That's, yep, that, that's definitely going to end in a bad time. So here I am the following morning. <laughs> Ready to go. That's why I had some drinks We're recording on Sunday morning. That's why I had some drinks Friday night. Because typically, well not typically, I would say the majority of the time, over 50%, we record on Saturday mornings. Yeah. And it's I like why I'm not going to drink the night before I need to wake up and do the podcast. Because it's not like, you know, you wake up whenever and we do this. There's a lot of prep and stuff that happens in the morning and get right. ready to go. So like I don't want to force myself. Although I guess to be fair, my life is very different. I'm never going to be in bed still at 9 a.m. Right. Because that's just not my reality anymore. But it's still just a carryover. So I had Friday night, I had three Red Bull vodkas. Nice. And they were yummy. And I got drunk and it was good. I've gotten back into the swing of like every other weekend probably I drink. And my wife does too. <laughs> she has wine and stuff. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> maybe we should be more careful. Call we're, child we're like, services. Yeah, we're not getting blackout or anything, but we're 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 getting fairly tipsy. I guess is is how I would qualify it. And so it reminds me of uh, times before she was prego, and we were able to do that, which is yeah. good. You need to you need to let loose every yeah, once man. in a while. Got to let got to get that. Uh, energy out that gets bottled up from just sitting on the couch for hours and hours and hours holding her because yeah. she's asleep and you're afraid to do anything because then she'll wake up and then she'll scream also maybe like the frustration of having poop on you that too yeah that happened uh, this morning actually i right. was holding her yep we were in bed i was holding her feeding her and then i went to burp her and a lot of times when especially in the morning um when i am burping her she'll also poop because it's kind of like the pounding on the back helps move everything around in her body. So that happens a lot. And it did. And I was like, okay, good. I'll be changing her in a sec. I got to give her a minute of resting on me. Because if I put her, if I lay her down flat on the changing table after she eats, she always spits up. So I'll wait a minute, let it get down, put the pacifier in her mouth so she can suckle on that. And that helps move everything down. And so we're just sitting there hanging out, chatting with Kelly in the morning. And then I'm like, oh, man, her poop definitely stinks. I'm going to go ahead and do this. And so I lift her up, and her entire back of her onesie is just orange because of her poop. And it's on my shirt and man. on my boxers that I am wearing and a little bit on my leg. So that was my morning, and that's why I got started a little late prepping for the podcast today. Humans are disgusting. I mean, she's two months old. <laughs> like, it's uh, not her fault. That does not mean it's not disgusting. <laughs> that That is correct. That is something I, sometimes I have to, like, tell myself that it is not her fault. She can't help it. Because, right. I, you know, I get frustrated if she won't, like, oh, she just ate. I just changed her. I'm holding her. I'm rocking her. I'm patting her butt, which she likes. She's in a position she freaking is obsessed 
with our ceiling fans and our curtain rods because they're <laughs> dark against a white background and right. babies love that shit. So she just stares at that stuff and she gets mesmerized <laughs> by the ceiling fan and she'll smile and like coo at it and it breaks my heart because she doesn't do it as much at me as she does the ceiling fan. But it's like I'm, I'm got her all positioned the way that she wants and she's still just screaming her brains out. And so that can get frustrating after 30 minutes of that happening and nonstop. And I just have to tell myself, like, it's not her fault. Like, she's a baby. I'm frustrated at the situation. I'm not mad at her. She's the best thing of all time. You should buy the ceiling fan a world's best dad mug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, like, get one of those. But, like, make it. Because Kelly makes stuff. Have Kelly make Uh a tiny little um world's best dad mug and have it be the pull on the ceiling fan that is a fantastic idea i need to write that down because that is a hilarious joke <laughs> father's day is coming up after all okay there you go need to make sure that uh the ceiling fan feels appreciated right uh. <laughs> well um so this is our big e3 predictions episode that we do every year this is our th- no, I guess this is only our second predictions. The We started the podcast right after E3 2017 happened. So that was our big, we did a big recap, which yeah. we will also do in the next episode after E3 happens. But, um, oh shit, wait. We're going to be recording the podcast during E3. Right? No. June 9th or 10th or whatever? No. No, you're right. It's the week. Wait. You're right. You're right. It's the week I after. Am. Okay. I had a panic moment of, oh, God, we can't do a podcast while E3 is happening. That takes away the whole point. No, the next but episode is going up on the 17th. Yes. So today is E3 predictions. And not just predictions, but talk. You know, there are games that have been confirmed. There are games that everybody says is going to be there. Plus, we have our own list of personal games. Some of them are more wishful thinking than others. Some of them have been on E3 predictions list for many years at this point, and they continue to not happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> so we're just going to hope for it until we manifest that into reality. And then next episode will be our big recap. So that's a long-winded way of saying, let's dive into stuff because we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Sure. Actually, no, let's continue to waste time. Well, Let, let me continue to ramble even more. That is just what we always do. Every yes. minute of this podcast is just you are time. not wrong. <laughs> okay. Speaking of, All I right, only so... have one minute and ten seconds left on a silver chest in Elder Scrolls Blades, so we got to hurry this up, man. Oh man, yeah. Make sure you interrupt me in the middle of a sentence so that we can find out what bullshit you opened that will be useless for you in a day. Okay. So speaking of Elder Scrolls Blades, um, I'm playing Skyrim, so I nice. actually. Did not touch Rage 2 in the last two weeks. So I played an hour before the last podcast. The morning of the last podcast. Did not touch it. I need to continue to play it. So that I, you know, it can at least put a couple hours into it and make a decision. But I think it's fairly telling that I had no interest in going back to it. The past two weeks were actually pretty decent for me in like being able to play games time. Because Penny has been, like, super chill lately, which, knock on wood, I'm not testing her. But, like, yesterday, Saturday, I played Skyrim for, like, four hours. And not just, she's asleep the whole time I'm playing. I still had to take breaks, and I watched an episode of Smallville in between when I was feeding her. But, like, 
she was chill enough where I was in charge of her while Kelly was doing other stuff. And she would like just lay in my lap or lay on the little pillow that we have for her and be totally fine. So point being, even with more time than normal to play games, no interest in playing Rage 2. Uh, I also, instead of not, not only did I not play Rage 2, I forgot that I could play Rage 2. (laughs) Even better. For me, at least, there was a little bit of guilt along with the You just reminded me that I own and have not beaten Rage 2. (laughs) And I haven't been doing shit the past couple of weeks. In your defense, at least you put significant time into it. And, like, made a choice that you don't really like it that much. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if you don't go back to it, it makes sense. For me, it's like I didn't give it enough of a shot. Which, one, says a lot about the initial quality of Rage 2. But I think a lot of it is also on me and how I play games. And the fact that it takes me a lot to get into a game. Which I think is just a historical thing of when I start a new game, particularly, like, a big open world or RPG. When I start the game... I usually am going to sit and play it all day. And that's how I get right. into it. If I sit and play it for an hour, then it makes it really hard for me to go back, especially if there's a couple days in between when I would go back. Yeah. And at this point, it's been two weeks. So, I don't know. Maybe, you know, it's Sunday. I've got the day today. I don't have any errands unless and until my wife comes up with a bunch, which I'm sure she will. That isn't meant to degrade my wife. It's just that she's more on top of what we need to do as parents and human beings than I am. Like, I would just sit in front of the TV all day. But she's like, no, Shay, we have to do X and Y in order to live. So I'm sure she will have things for me to do. But I guess I could try to play Rage 2 today. But I would rather play Skyrim because... Because Skyrim is so other... good. One, yes, it's really good. But I also have some new mods um, mm. that we didn't talk about last time that I have like just discovered or seen the implications of the first one seems like it would be really small, but it actually adds to the feeling of immersion and wonder in this game. And that is a bridges mod. So in vanilla Skyrim, with the exception of like the dragon stone bridge, the big one with like the, um, dragon stone, (laughs) things on it yeah there's an i think it's i think the the town is called dragons it's like one of the smaller towns i think it's called dragonstone but i might be wrong because that's also a place in game of thrones so it's probably Probably not not dragonstone but it's a big bridge that has like these dragon heads that are huge things carved out of stone and it's a really unique looking bridge in vanilla skyrim most of the other bridges are fairly generic just like Something you would build, or something like a five-year-old would build in Minecraft, where it's just like a straight line of stone or wood, and they're very boring. This mod makes every bridge look unique and appropriate to the area where it is. So, like, in Whiterun, in the big area, there is, like, when you're walking up to Whiterun for the first time, you come across this place where there are two bridges. Like, there's a bridge to the right and a bridge forward that takes you to, like, where the farms are and shit. And those before were just like plain wooden bridges. They might have had an overhang. But this, it like updates them so that they look really like carved meticulously and like has designs on it and hanging moss and it has the winter or the white run flags and stuff on it. Okay. They're just some sweet ass looking bridges. Sure. And when you're playing on PS4 where they're only allowed to use vanilla assets and therefore the mod availability is very limited. If I was playing on PC or if I was playing on Xbox, 
I would not have thought about this mod because it's they changed the bridges. Like, who really cares? But because PS4, there are so there are so fewer options. This one is like, oh man, this is like I actually was interested in it because there were fewer options, and it is awesome. Even playing on PC or playing on Xbox, this would still be an awesome mod. But you wouldn't really like. There are so many other things to mod in those versions of the game that you would never think to look at new bridges. Right. If I had As been ex- the one who made or created a new bridges mod, I would change it so that the dragon in the beginning just looks like Jeff Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> all the dragons so, look like Jeff Bridges. Well, no, just the one in the beginning. Just uh, what, yeah, Alduin or whatever. The bad guy Alduin. Yeah. Yeah. So he he like shows up in the beginning, and it's just it's Jeff Bridges. Mm-hmm. And he's, he says... Just the face is Jeff Bridges? Right, yeah, like the Macho Man Randy Savage reskin. Well, but that one changes the, the whole body of the dragon to look like Macho Man Randy Savage in dragon form. Oh, I thought that like, one was Like, the wings look like his arms. Oh, you're it, right. It is a horror show. You're right. Uh, then that's what I would want, yes. Okay. Because <laughs> it depends on what, what route you want to go. I want a horror go. show. Jeff yeah. Are, are, you, are you looking for awful nightmare version <laughs> yeah. or just like funny joke version? Because funny joke version is just like the face is just Jeff Bridges' face on a dragon, which would also be pretty funny. But to like stretch and morph a picture of him and just lay it over a dragon, that, sounds that is nightmare fuel. Uh, as an extension of the Bridges mod... I mean, they're separate, but it's a similar vein. The Cities mod. So I talked last time when I went to Whiterun, and uh, there was a lot more greenery there. Like Because of the uh, graphics mod that I had with the lighting, Like it looked like a brand new place. There was so much more vegetation. And I thought that was just part of this new weather's lighting mod. But it's actually a Cities mod, because as I went to other cities, they were all much different. And a lot of them, like a lot of the smaller cities, like Morthal and um, Winterhold, where they're not as big, they're a little more dilapidated, spread out. Those two both had like huge walls around them, like to protect from the elements and stuff. Uh, with like, you know, lots of um, steps and stuff like on different levels of the walls. And it built some like additional housing units and stuff. So that the cities feel like, not just bigger, but, like, more developed than they did in the vanilla game. Okay. And so that is a really cool... Just because walking into a city feels like I'm actually walking into it for the first time now. Because it looks so different. The core of it doesn't change. Like, all of the main buildings are in the same place. The Jarl's Hold is in the same place. All that stuff. But, like, all the stuff around it. Although, oh, like, in um, uh, Morthal, they built a new little market area where there's, like, a couple little outdoor shops and just like it, it helps with that immersion side of it right. uh the negative is the pathing isn't great Uh-oh. because of all these new structures and so characters will like get stuck walk like walking repeatedly into a wall and so you just have to like fast travel back to the town and it'll reset where they are a little bit so that's been in like one of them with the jarls hold every time i came out of it it put me underneath the um deck so like i couldn't move so i had to like fast travel back to the area and to reset it so that's like an annoyance but it's a mod like at the end of the day that stuff's gonna happen and then finally when i got to winter hall because i'm playing a battle mage so i'm very into magic i installed a magic mod which i wish i remember the name of 
But as part of it, it also updates a lot of stuff at the College of Winterhold. So there's a bunch of new spells, which are all... Honestly, I'm not, like, super in love with them. Um, the, on the Conjuration side, you can conjure actual beasts. So it's not like, oh, a spectral wolf. You can actually summon a wolf. Or what I do is I summon a Dawn Star, not Dawn Star, a Dawn Guard armored husky. And he's like my buddy that I always bring with Hell me. Hell yeah. And he lasts for like 84,000 seconds. <laughs> because it's all measured in how long they last in seconds. And right. so he, I don't even know what 84,000 seconds is, but it's a decently long time. Uh, and so there are, like, one of the cool things is, for, like, for restoration, it adds uh, attack magic for restoration, which just helps you level it up faster because you're not only using it to heal yourself, you can also use it to harm enemies. And then a bunch of new destruction spells. Uh, and, like, um, not genres, what would be, like, earth, wind, fire, what are those called? Elements. Elements. So there's um, there's an earth one, there's a wind one, there's a water one, there's blood magic, which I have not used because that goes against the lore of my character. But um, those are cool in that they are different, but the effectiveness is not awesome. Because like there's one that is, I don't remember what it's called, but it's for like, it's for distance. And so you have the divination one, which is like the healing magic, where you just cast it and you just aim your hand at the thing and it just slowly drains their health. Like you're not shooting anything at them, it's like sucking the health out of them. And it just isn't very powerful. And then there's one where it's close range, where it's the same spell but close range that's supposed to do more damage and it still doesn't do very much damage. So, I don't know, maybe it's just because I only purchased the cheaper spells from all these guys so maybe the higher level ones that are more expensive are better um but i usually just find myself going back to firebolt which is just the destruction throw a fire spell at you because that does way more damage so all those things combined are again helping this just feels like a more fresh experience the magic mod in the college of winterhold has a lot of um outside of magic elements so like there's a new thing with um enchanting where you can dismantle the gems stones what are are they called soul gems you can dismantle them into shards and then make so like i can dismantle three petty soul gems and turn it into a greater soul gem like that kind of thing there is uh, a station which i haven't played around with yet where you can make um staffs staves so you can like enchant a staff to make it into whatever you want okay um Similar with scrolls, like you can make scrolls. There's some new stuff around alchemy that I haven't played around with. And then in the the library in the College of Winterhold, you can meditate on each different school of magic, which gives you enhanced abilities for eight hours or whatever it is. So there, there are a lot of elements to try to make magic a little more viable in Skyrim. Because in the vanilla game, it's just playing a magic character is really tough because it takes forever to level up your magic. And the spells just, they're not as good as just beating something with a Warhammer. Right. So I'm trying to force myself to stick to it. And I'm getting better. Like, I th- my character's around level 30, so I'm pretty high level already. And I think my uh, spells, I'm primarily using Destruction, Restoration, and Alteration. And those are right around 40-ish. So, like, I don't know. Part of the issue with the magic is the actual upgrades aren't that meaningful unless you're doing a really specific kind. So, like, for uh, Conjuration, 
I'm conjuring all of these animals and spectral beasts and stuff, but there's a whole track on conjuration that's specific to the Atronox. So, like, if I'm not using those, I'm not going to get anything out of the Atronox upgrades. Right. So then there's really nothing that's valuable to upgrade for my conjuration. I'm just, like... I, I can now do apprentice level for half magicka. Like that's the only thing I'm really upgrading there. And so that feels like there's less progress happening because there right. really is. But when I have time to play a game, I'm just going back to Skyrim and I'm not, I'm, I'm like, obviously because I've played the game for over a thousand hours across like five different characters. I'm not like, Oh my God, I love Skyrim so much. Still, I still am enjoying it, but it's more of a passive experience. Um, but when, I primarily play in 20 to 30 minute chunks. That's pretty okay. I can do like a dungeon or right. I can go to a town and talk to everyone. And that's what I accomplish in that chunk. So it's working out better than expected for that purpose. Cause typically you'd think of Skyrim as I'm going to sit down and play for five hours. And that's just not really how it's working for me. So what you been playing besides not rage two. <laughs> um, so a lot of Elder Scrolls blades been hitting it hard, man. <laughs> Um, I'm now level 27, collecting some rubies to upgrade my stuff. Are you having fun? Yeah, sure. Okay. Close to it. <laughs> Ringing endorsement. It's close to fun. Sure. Um, fun adjacent. Yeah. It, again, it's su- it's just super passive. Like, I I spent about a half hour playing, and I wind up with enough chests usually to where, like, it's the rest of the day. It's just opening chests and doing inventory management and upgrading, which is all stuff that I like to do. Like, dealing with mats and all that kind of stuff, and then upgrading the town, mm. all that. So that's kind of, like, the rest of my day in, like, short one- to two-minute chunks. Uh, I got the Garden Flipper DLC for House Flipper. So that's oh, a good okay. time. I was mowing the lawn. Yeah. I need to mow my Virtually. actual lawn, though, unfortunately. Right. So, uh. <laughs> Guessing that won't be quite as much fun, unless you're a weirdo that enjoys that kind of crap. Well, no, I, I do. Because uh, I like I put on a podcast. Like I haven't listened to Adventure sure. Zone in a while. I'm probably like, okay. two episodes behind on Adventure Zone. So I'll pull that up, mow the lawn. It's a good time. Gets me a little exercise. Gets me out of the house. Um, and then... Uh, a buddy of mine and I, we started a Minecraft Realms server. Right. Uh, and we've been working on that. I made a totally awesome zombie farm out of a spawner. Mm-hmm. It was very good. And I got a couple villagers down there because the whole villager trade mechanics are different now. And they're like, I made them cleric villagers. And so ah. they trade for rotten flesh. So I farm a bunch of zombies for XP and they're like... Uh, and uh, so the sword I have, it has mending on it, so it gets healed as I kill zombies. Like it heals itself hmm. based on XP. So like the first couple bits of XP will heal the sword, and then I get the rest of the XP. Um, so the sword will never break. The one that I used to farm the zombies. Wow. And then it has like looting three, sweeping edge three, so it hits more zombies at once for more damage. And it's just like it's the perfect sword. Uh, That's for- a lot of new enchantments that you can put on. It's super stuff. cool. Um, Fuck, dude! I'm, I'm gonna play Skyrim today. Fuck it, Rage Two is dead. If I if I decide to play a different game than Skyrim today, it's gonna be Minecraft. <laughs> you just said you're gonna play Skyrim today. Well, I'm probably gonna play Skyrim okay, today, but, but I'm gonna, gonna, gonna play Minecraft. Minecraft today. Okay, good idea. Well, <laughs> Rage it, it needs to be on PC to though, because I don't think the PlayStation Four version has been updated in a very long time. Okay. Because it's no longer well, it is now a Microsoft product. I don't think they support the PS4 version anymore. Fair enough. Um, 
But yeah, so I've been playing that. It's a very good time. Uh, we are revamping an entire village. We finally got the wall built all the way around it. Um, I have put the equivalent of two days uh, into that in the past two weeks. Mm -hmm. So I've been playing it a lot. Um, so uh, explain Minecraft Realms a little to me more. So maybe it's as straightforward as this, but is it just a multiplayer world? Yes. Okay, um, that's all it, it is. It is There's a multiplayer like world that neither my friend or I have to host. Mojang is hosting it, so he and I uh -huh. can connect to it at any time independently of each other. Got it. Okay. So, so in, if in it a was... normal uh, world, you could direct connect through, like, you'd probably have to have, like, a Hamachi tunneling client on. Um, but you could connect, like, to my world through a LAN or a direct, direct connect connection. But mm. I would have to be logged in for you to connect. Right. In this, right. because Mojang is hosting it, he and I can connect to it at different times independently and do stuff. Cool. Um, so it's like playing on someone else's hosted server. Like, all those hosted servers that you and I used to play on, these multiplayer servers. Right. They're yeah, like, hosting it, and so it's just always online. Right. right. Okay. So it's like that. Uh, I had the first month can free, and from then on, it's like eight bucks or seven or eight bucks a month. Um, and so I'll probably continue to pay for that through the summer as long as he and I are interested in continuing playing it. Can it's you set up money. like custom rules and stuff? Um, no. So like that's the, the limitation of realms versus going uh -huh. with a third party service is a third party service. You can use, um, oh crap. What is it called? Um, uh, what's that? It called? probably doesn't matter because I won't know what it is. Yeah, it, it's a it's a program that you can use to access and manage files from a server. Um, it's okay. a specific type of program, is is what it's called. I can't remember. It's some acronym. Um, but uh, so like a typical server, if I were to like go like minecrafthosting.com and I buy a mm -hmm. server from them, I can use this client on my computer to adjust the files. I could put in like bucket plugins or yep. Java files to like make mods and stuff. Um, this realms, I don't have that granularity. I don't have the access to the files like that, but you can enable or disenable command blocks. And most mm. command blocks can like command blocks can basically make mods if you want them okay. to, if you program well enough in them, he and I haven't really stepped foot into that stuff yet. Um, but I'm thinking about it because for this town, I really want like a big gate that will open. Um, and you can do uh, a facsimile of that with like pistons and stuff, but it's yeah. not the same. Um, but with command blocks, you can make it so that, hey, when a player and not just any entity, when a player approaches or is within mm. this range of these particular blocks, those blocks change to this and move to this position and do that. And so you can kind of like almost animate a door opening um, hmm. in a way, which is really interesting. So I, I'm going to try Could and look up. Could you just do like redstone with pist sticky pistons with whatever you want the door to look like and just have it like built into the walls where whenever you walk on a whatever, uh, a stone, or I guess it would be like a... Yeah, but I want this to look a lot cooler when it happens. Because okay. okay. he, he and I just played uh, Diversity 3, which is a Complete the Monument map um, that just came out. Um, and they were doing a lot of command block stuff that was super impressive. Like, they had elevators mm. that were, like, 
a, like a platform that would literally like slowly move up and down and like they were playing sounds and like their own custom tracks and stuff and he and i were like we need to do some of this stuff because it's super <laughs> cool um and so i think we can accomplish a lot of that with command blocks um in realms so interested to try that out and see what's what but that's been a good time spent a lot of yeah. time doing that um and then again like i would just play like elder scrolls blades on the side and like interact with that right. every half hour right. or hour or so and then play minecraft and then an additional layer is uh i got an emulator and i got final fantasy 9 because okay. i I'd, had started nine before and i never beat it um and so i didn't get very far at all i like didn't get past the ice cave so i finally restarted that downloaded a strategy guide and i've been working my way through it um it's very good. I very much enjoy Final Fantasy IX. That's my gap. So I have not... I mean, I've I've never played 1, 2, or 3. But the only other Final Fantasy games that I've never played are 5 and 9. I've played all the other ones. Yeah. So, and Vivi, everybody raves about 9. Yeah, Vivi, the, black, the little black mage, is a particularly mm-hmm. interesting character. They do some cool stuff uh, with, with his character in this game. They're, they are doing stuff. It seems like he's going to have a pretty cool arc. Um, and I know people love the protagonist. Is it Zidane? Yeah, I'm not super hip to his jive. I don't okay. know. He's he's fine. Because um, typically, he's Final like Fantasy games buckling pretty boy with a yeah. monkey tail. Yeah, a lot of Final Fantasy games have bad protagonists. Yeah, so maybe that's more what it is. Is like he's less bad right. than Titus or Vaughn or right. Leon. Or, yeah, 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 he is less bad than most of those people. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm enjoying that. So at one point, I was watching old Giant Bomb videos and having Minecraft up both in small windows on my left monitor. On my right monitor, half the monitor was a strategy guide and half the monitor was Final Fantasy IX. And then to the right of my right monitor was my iPad, which was playing Elder Scrolls Blades. I did that for like good time. two days straight, doing <laughs> all of that at the same time. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was the best. And I'm going to do that to more this with, week. You need to come up with a project. Well, I like, have I have stuff I need to do that I will do. I'm just mm-hmm. like I'm finally off work, so I'm trying no. to get all this stuff in and at yes, the same that, time. That that was that was going to be my point like a week or two weeks of just this. Like that's amazing. Yeah. Go for it. I'm going to be but, sick of it by the end of those two weeks. Y- well, I'm going to be ma- Well, no, I like I need projects. I take okay, the, yes, I take them upon true. myself to like do that kind of stuff. I yes. did it last summer. I do it every summer. I like yeah. Kara comes home and like thirty new pictures are on the wall and like stuff like that. It's like I have, I have things that I need to do. Like we have cabinet hardware that we got from the wedding that I never put up that I'll have to put up um, that I desperately want because I still try to open the cabinets the wrong way, um, mm. even though I've had my house for almost two years. <laughs> uh, just like stuff like that. Um, things around the house that need doing so i'm i'm excited to do those projects now that i have the time and the energy and the inclination to do so it's not something i have to do it will become something that i want to do um i experience that that turn sometime during the summer i always do um so yeah playing all that stuff and then i also got started in beat void bastards it was so good that game looks dope. It as was hell really good. 
really bums me out that it's only on PC. Well, it's also on Xbox Game Pass. Well, which yeah, also doesn't I, help. I can't you. play it there. Yeah, um, and I'm really bummed because it looks awesome. But I, I, my pe- my computer, I know would not be good it's, with a first person shooter like that. It would not. Yeah, would not last. Also, I I am disappointed in that I beat it in seven hours, and uh, stuff I was seeing online was like eleven to fifteen. But I beat it in seven, so I think I'm just really good at video games, Shay. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. Is it a full price game? No, no. So it's thirty, and actually, it was funny. I I logged onto Steam. I was like, I'm gonna buy Void Bastards today. Mm-hmm. This looks awesome. Thirty bucks. Here I come. And I logged on, and in my inventory was a coupon for System Shock Two owners, twenty five percent off of Void Bastards. So nice. I got it for twenty two fifty. Nice. It was good. Uh, yeah, so worth every penny. Very, so very. So I would good say game. it's not obviously like a big release. So just for folks that aren't super familiar, just describe because the the visual yeah. style is what really stood out to me. But I know there's a lot of other cool elements. Sure. To it. Yeah. So it's it's actually made by a few of the developers of like old System Shock games and stuff. They're kind of involved in the development a bit. Um, but it's very like the main title screen is like a comic book cover, mm-hmm. uh, and it kind of like scrolls up and down and. So the the game is very comic booky in its aesthetic, uh, very goofy. Uh, it has a really fun uh, atmosphere to it, but with, like with some darker undertones. Um, all of the enemies are like classic Doom or Quake, where they're two D two D like flat sprites that shift that move around a three D environment, and then have like if you rotate around them like 30 degrees, they'll have another frame that they show you for like their side or like their Mm. backside. Um, So they have like six or eight facings that you can potentially see at any given time as they like rotate around. So you get a good idea of which direction they're facing or how they're moving and stuff. Um, And I I never encountered a situation where I like wasn't sure how far away an enemy was or like where they were in the 3d space. They handle all that stuff really well. Um, the whole art style is just very, it's, everything feels very cohesive, like the, um, cause some, some, like a trap that you can sometimes fall into with this kind of art style is like old cartoons, how the backgrounds are dark and the things that move are brighter. Um, this doesn't have that. So everything kind of feels like it's, it's well pulled together. Um, yeah, it is an awesome game. So I guess like, like to, to break down the structure of the game. It is a run-based game, which I typically don't like. However, hmm. it's run-based in cer- like in you're you're always making forward progress. Uh, you're always uh, make yeah. You're always making forward progress. You're always improving things, upgrading things that stick. Even if your character dies, it's like the next character that comes up because the whole setup for the game is you're on a a penal colony ship. Uh, you're getting. Uh, you're supposed to be on your way to be deposited. So all of these criminals have been freeze dried and put into bags um, like little MREs uh, mm-hmm. and like they have like a, a designation tag, but something happened to the ship. And so it needs to resurrect or reanimate some of these prisoners and use the prisoner to go get the things that the ship needs to get to the penal colony um, okay. to like deposit its uh, thing of prisoners. So, like, that's your whole deal is, like, you start with a random prisoner who has, like, random traits or perks or whatever, and, like, sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's a bad thing, like, 
this person coughs randomly. <laughs> so, like, you're walking through a ship trying to sneak, and then your character yeah. just, like, <coughs> and, like, alerts the enemies <laughs> around him. Or, like, another one That's is, awesome. uh, like, <laughs> there's this one trait where when you loot a container, your character, like, whoops for joy. <laughs> uh, so, like, like, every time you loot a container, your character's like, woo! <laughs> and, like, makes noise and, like, yeah. draws enemies to you. There was another one where, like, your character... Um, doesn't use up as much oxygen. Like, they're more efficient with their oxygen usage because, like, since it's run-based, it's randomly generated ships. Like, it, it actually it reminds me of the old Star Wars Battlefront Galactic Conquest where you've got okay. this map with all these, like, dotted lines connecting the different planets and things, except these are all ships and other mm-hmm. random events that can happen. And you're basically... You're given an objective of things that you need. And on that map screen, it shows you, Hey, it's in this direction. You can only ever move forward. You can't move backwards. Um, and so you're moving from thing to thing, uh, trying to like plan out your moves. And, like you can hover over a ship. Like, let's say you have three ships are an option for you to move to for your next day cycle. Um, and you can look at each ship individually. It'll tell you what enemies are there, roughly how many of each enemy, like it'll say like few, some, many, or shed loads. Shed loads is, like, a lot of them. And right. I can tell you, don't go on ships with shed loads of enemies. It sucks. <laughs> Especially the exploding ones. Um, and, like, it'll say other things like, hey, there are oil slicks here. Or, like, there is less oxygen. Or mm. um, the power is off when you come to the ship, so you'll have to turn the power on first. Other stuff like that. And you just, like, through playing the game you start to be able to pick out, hey, this ship is this color palette and is roughly this shape, so it's probably this type of ship. Like, Okay. And then the whole thing is, like, you hop on a ship and you want to go to the helm immediately because if you go to the helm, it'll tell you where all the items are in the ship, all the lootable stuff. You can wander around the ship and find the lootables yourself, but it's a lot easier if you go to the helm. Now, the power needs to be on for the helm to work, so sometimes you go into a ship, the power's off, so you go to the generator first, and then you go to the helm. But all the whole time, the oxygen meter's ticking down. That's kind of your timer for that ship, and you got to mm-hmm. get out. Like, you have to go mm-hmm. back out the airlock. Um, some ships are like, hey, this airlock is damaged. You can get in this way, but you have to go mm-hmm. out another airlock. Uh, stuff like that. Um, so it, there are a lot of factors that it kind of juggles. Uh, you see some repeating rooms, but it's a good thing because it like, it doesn't feel samey because the configurations are also randomized. But the, a lot of the rooms themselves are the same. But it's good in that through playing the game, you learn where to look for loot faster. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a benefit, and you kind of, like, look forward to, like, oh, this ship is going to have this room. This room, I know, is good for this type of material. Um, And so, like, hey, I need bullets, so I want to go to this type of a ship because it has, like, an armory area where it would hold, like, police force. So they should have a lot of bullets there. Stuff like that. Um, It's just a really fucking great game. It's a good game, and I'm super bummed that I beat it in seven hours because I really wanted to play more of it. I wish it was a lot longer. Why do you think you beat it faster, or did you just not die as often? I only died once. Oh, Um, interesting. So I only – so, yeah, and it was, like, right after I had hit, like, a checkpoint. So once Mm. you gather the items you need, you can keep going, 
or you can go ahead and assemble the thing you need and it takes you back to the main ship and then the ship descends into the nebula deeper and you're in a new nebula depth and then there's like a new something else happens with the story uh which is all very funny and then you need these other things uh so that you go out again starting from the ship mm-hmm. um in a new nebula so- depth and maybe you already said this, but how do the different character types come in then? Does that only happen when you die? Correct. Yeah. The other thing that can happen is there are ships that have um, machines on them that will give you a random good trait. Not a random. A choice of three good traits. Mm-hmm. And if you're already full on traits, you can replace one of your old ones with another one. Okay. Which is good. But also, going through the galaxy there are these roaming little DNA strands, and if they end up on the same ship or the same place as you, they will randomly mutate one of your traits into, like, Mm. a random good or bad one. So they'll kind of switch those up. I never got hit by one of those because I was always very careful about how I moved. There are also, like, these space whales that will come and devour your ship and kill your guy automatically, unless you have a (laughs) torpedo, which are very rare. Um, You can also get, like, warp gate keys, which allow you to warp to any... um, uh, any other point that is on screen on the map mm. so like you can skip several jumps and like the whole like each jump takes you a day and so it takes one food and one fuel and so you're always mm. trying to like you got to make sure you have enough food have enough fuel all this other stuff as well as trying to get all of these different it's a lot of mats like it's a lot of materials that you're getting and crafting parts to make upgrades and upgrade weapons get new skills better armor like resistances to radiation and all these other status effects that can happen to you. Um, the upgrade tree is very extensive and it's a lot of like funny objects that you are putting together. Like a distended testicle uh, is like an <laughs> object that you need uh, or like, like a colon cleanser is one as well. Nice. Um, and then there's also mundane ones, like just like a spanner or a wrench. Um, but yeah, it's void bastards. It's a hell of a game. Sounds highly good. recommend. There's a lot to it, and they let you tweak your difficulty settings uh, pretty granularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I just played on the normal difficulty. I didn't adjust any of the settings for my first time through. I honestly might play the game again because mm-hmm. it was well, very it's procedurally good. generated. Like it'll still yeah. be different. And I kind of yeah. had three weapons, well, like five total weapons that I used a lot, um, and I never really experimented with a couple of them. That were okay. more late game weapons. I never really even used them just because I beat the game so fast. So I'd like to experiment with those weapons and see what's what. And then maybe try it on a harder difficulty. I don't know. I don't know. Because some of those places were really hard. Like some of the enemies. And like there are different tiers of each enemy and stuff. Yeah. And it gets very difficult. Um, there's like a big daddy equivalent enemy that... Nice. I was overstocked on grenades. I had, like, 50 grenades once, (laughs) and I had a a weapon that, like, shocks enemies. So Mm. I would shock him, and then I would just, grenades, 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 and then shock him and just grenades. And I used, like, 30 grenades on these two (laughs) Big Daddy dudes, and I actually managed to kill him, which was awesome. But uh, I did use up a lot of my stuff. So there's, like, you know, there's the back and forth of... Is there enough stuff on this ship? Because there were certainly ships that I got on, and like there was immediately like a ton of really hard enemies, and so mm. I just noped the fuck back out the airlock and said, "This is right. a loss. I'm done." Um, so there's that can happen sometimes too, and it's kind of your judgment call. Like if you sometimes you're in a position where it's like, man, like this is the ship 
that has the piece on it that I need to progress. I have to okay. do this ship. Yeah. Like, I just have to make do with the materials I have, or I hope I find some extra stuff while I'm on the ship. Um, it puts you into a lot of interesting situations. So, highly, Maybe highly, highly. Maybe I just need to buy an Xbox. It. Yeah. Maybe not. I feel not. like I, I need to buy an Xbox. Because, I mean, not just this game, but there's a lot of stuff on Xbox that I would like to play. Yeah. But then I have the argument of I don't have as much time to play games, so am I really going to play all this stuff right. even if I had the chance? Right. Like, I had the, the means? I don't know, maybe man. Maybe E3 maybe. will sell you on it. Yeah, maybe. Microsoft. That's true. Is there, That's is true. The, I hadn't even considered they're that. They're the big one with the press conference this year. So yeah. Maybe they'll sell I, you on it. They're definitely going to have playing new stuff coming out with all their new studios and um, I mean, we'll talk about it here, but they said they have 14 first party games they're showing at the show. So crazy. Maybe I can uh, try to get one for Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Don't buy me like a weed whacker. Buy me an Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Um, so I haven't been watching a ton of new stuff. Uh, Mom was actually here uh, last week for a couple of days. And so we just wanted stuff to like casually watch. She actually had not seen the new season of Game of Thrones. Uh, I did not want to watch the new season of Game of Thrones a second time. Right. So Kelly suffered through a couple episodes with her, and Ooh. they just kind of like were talking throughout it. Which I feel like if you like game, if you liked the new season of Game of Thrones, it's because you're a casual viewer, and I don't mean casual from an elitist perspective. I mean you watch it casually. Um, like my mom does because she enjoys everything that's happening, but she doesn't really remember what the characters' names are. Right. So, yeah. Uh, but we also watched some John Mulaney stand-up just to have on in the background. That dude's quite funny. He has three specials on Netflix. We watched his first two, and so now I want to watch the third one. I've seen all of them before, but um, they're just very funny. So watching Seinfeld, we are now in season seven. George just got engaged, so uh, we all know how that ends up. Yep. And I greatly am looking forward to season eight, which has one of my all-time favorite episodes, uh, The Summer of George, which is after she dies and he kind of is like, I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want right now. And it is fantastic. Um, Still watching Sons of Anarchy. We're slowing down on it, uh, I think just because we're in season five now, uh, like halfway through. And so this is kind of the biggest lull of the show. It obviously still has plenty of big moments, like Tara getting murdered at the end of the season. But like... The story isn't as interesting as it is sometimes, um, but we'll make it through that. And then I think we're gonna, I think we're actually going to watch Sherlock after Sons of Anarchy because my yeah. wife is watching Sherlock right now because she just like races through stuff because that's all she does all day long with Penny's right. watch television shows. So she's watching Sherlock right now, and I was like, damn, like I wish you would have t- told me I would have rewatched it. It's been a while. Like we haven't watched it since, like we've watched. The first two seasons, maybe a couple of times, but the second and or the third and fourth, we only watched it once when it came out. Uh, so I would totally be down to rewatch it. And she's like, "Well, when we finish Sons of Anarchy, I'll watch it again. Like even if it's in a month, I'll <laughs> like." She's like, "I would just watch it on repeat." So we're gonna watch that next. Um, watching the occasional Kitchen Nightmares, and then I'm still digging into Smallville. I'm like halfway through season two now. Season one, <laughs> I forgot how it ends. Like. So, in the finale, like, the last couple episodes of season one, they're talking about, oh, this big storm is coming. And then in the finale, it comes. And it's, like, three tornadoes that merge into a mega tornado. And Lana, who is the love interest, like, 
is gets trapped and gets sucked up in her truck into this giant tornado. And then, uh, meanwhile, uh, Lex is with his dad and his dad gets like pinned underneath a beam that falls down. And like, there's a big thing coming, like a big sharp pointy thing that's like sliding down and it's going to fucking kill him. And so Lex's dad is like, Lex, save me, help me get out of here. And Lex is kind of just like staring at him like, hmm, maybe I'll let you get murdered by this spiky floor thing. (laughs) And then so Lana gets sucked up into the tornado and Clark runs up sees her truck in there she sees him and she's like clark help help she, clark, she doesn't know clark superman obviously and clark just kind of looks and then runs into the tornado and that's how the season ends <laughs> like he just runs into the tornado <laughs> fade to black and i was like wait what wow. like obviously the show had already been renewed it's not like they were going to end the show on this cliffhanger but like shows don't do that like this no. is nowadays that would be the end of part one of the finale. Right. And then part two would happen, and then they would have some element of story that would lead you into the next scene to make you interested. But to have that big of a cliffhanger to end your season where you're not going to see it again for another eight months, like, I was just like, it was bonkers. And then, of course, (laughs) I immediately went went and watched episode one of season two. But uh, I just appreciated that, because you just don't see that very much anymore. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Um, and then I talked last episode, we were watching Great Food Truck Race, which, like, we're not super into. We finished the season of the, like, all-star food trucks, and then we watched the next season, which is the one with Vinny from Jersey Shore and his family. So we watched through that whole thing, because it was only, like, six episodes. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe we enjoyed it at first, because we just needed something, but I've kind of, like, lost my patience for it. Like, this last season was garbage. Just the people weren't very good at it, and they were all annoying. And um, uh, our buddy Aaron actually wrote in an email that we'll talk about later. But he mentioned something about the great food truck race, which made me assume I knew who was going to win. And I didn't care. Like, oh, I think I have had the ending spoiled. And I don't mean this as a negative to Aaron, because my point is I don't care. But, like, the end of a competition show is spoiled for you, and you don't care. Probably means you're not really liking the show, because that's the whole point. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting to see a famous dude from Jersey Shore on it, because, boy, howdy, he milked that shit for all it was worth. Of course. And it felt really unfair that he could be like, yeah, I am. I'm the, I'm the dude from Jersey Shore. I'll take, yeah, sure, I'll take a selfie with you, but you got to buy something first. Like, that's just not, it's an unfair advantage that he had right. over the rest of the field, which was, it was just kind of lame. Uh, like if I feel like if they were going to do that, everybody should have a famous person as part of their food truck. Yeah. Like that's the season that they should have done. So, but whatever. And then obviously, Game of Thrones is over. Uh, it isn't. It was not the worst finale of all time, because for me that honor belongs to Dexter. Because holy shit, the way that show ends. <laughs> but it might be the worst final scene. Like the bit, I should say, it might be the biggest drop off in quality of any television show because it was so high. And then season seven, I liked less. But this, like season eight, almost everything about the story and the writing was unbelievably terrible. Like I was constantly in shock. And I'm not being hyperbolic. I was in shock. Like they either, they really think this is cool. Or, how? why the fuck is this character doing this? 
constantly asking one of those two questions. So anyway, don't need to rehash Game of Thrones. But we watched, they had like a behind the scenes featurette about the making of the final season. And even that was shitty. Like, it, it's this mock, not mock, but like mini documentary about making the final season where it picks a couple of like people that worked on the show. There was a dude who was an extra, the chick who did all the makeup stuff, one of the executive producers, one of the directors. And it kind of like shows their journey throughout the show. And like every once in a while, they'll talk to an actor or about an actor, but it's primarily about the crew. And it felt like such a desperate, see, this show is really hard to make, guys. Please don't be mad at us for screwing it up kind of a thing. (laughs) And it wasn't a good documentary because most of the time I didn't give a shit. Like they didn't do a good job making me care about the people that the documentary is about. So, and Kelly felt the same way. Like, we were just very disinterested watching it, but just felt obligated because the internet's talking a lot about it. So, it was just, I was just like, fuck off, Game of Thrones. Fuck you. There's a scene where uh, D.B. Weiss, who's one of the co-creators, after Kit Harington, who plays Jon Snow, after his final shot, and they're like, hey, that's a series wrap on Kit Harington. He does this little speech of how amazing it's been to see Kit take on this role of John and to get to know him as a person, as an actor, blah, blah, blah. And even as he's saying it, I just got this vibe that, like, he does not give a shit. Like, he's just saying, like, he doesn't fucking care. He is there to get this thing done as fast as possible so he can go make millions of dollars ruining the Star Wars franchise. Like, it could not be more obvious that these two guys did not fucking care about this show anymore because they were ready to move on to the next, better, bigger thing. Like, HBO wanted this show to go for 12 seasons, and then they got it down to 10 seasons, and George R. R. Martin was like, oh yeah, there's plenty of story. We could go 12 seasons, but 10 feels good. And then they kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and then they were going to end it in season 8 or whatever, and then the, and they were going to do a 10-episode the two last seasons, they were going to do 10 episodes. And D.B. Weiss and David Benioff were like, hey, we want to do shortened seasons. Seven episodes in this one, six episodes in the final season. And they tried a marketing spin it of like, these episodes are bigger and better than and longer than any of the ep- other episodes have been. Each episode is like its own movie. And first of all, no, it fucking isn't. <laughs> and second of all, that doesn't make it good. Like, at the end of the day, there are still fewer hours of television in this final season than in the previous full seasons. Because there were only six episodes, and like three of them were 90 minutes, and most of the rest were like 60. That's still less time than your full 10-episode season. And even in this documentary, everyone that's talking about it is like, oh man, this, this, this is bigger, our budget is bigger, the scope is bigger, the scale is bigger than it's ever been before. And I'm like, so what? So what? Like, what does that mean? Does that make it better that, like, you go to more locations? That it's longer? Like, that... I don't give a shit. The story is the only thing that matters in this. And that's where it fell apart. Because instead of saying, here's the story we're trying to tell, they said, here are the big epic moments we need to do. They fucking flew to Iceland for a couple of days just for a single shot. That that the rest of the scene... From that was done on a set. But the one shot, they needed to be in Iceland so that they could see the background and all that bullshit. Like, this this is your priority here. This is what you're focused on. It was very representative of the quality of the final season. And they also showed, like, the first table read of everybody in for, of the finale. 
And you can just see the looks on some of the actors' faces. Because, like, they're reading through all the episodes for the first time. And so the dude that plays... I mean, spoilers for the final season of Game of Thrones, but who fucking... If, if you're watching it, you've seen it already. You, you remember Varys, the spider? No. The, chub, the chubby, bald eunuch? He was in King's Landing, and he was all oh, the Whisperer yeah. guy. Yeah. Okay. So he... I mean, he stays in the show, blah, blah, blah. He dies in the final season, because throughout the entire show... He's this playing behind people's backs thing, manipulating events, whispers, blah, blah, blah. And then in the final season, he walks up to Jon Snow and is like, hey, Daenerys is going crazy. We should kill her so you can be king. Do you agree with me? And Jon's like, no, she's my queen. And then he goes to Tyrion. He's like, hey, Tyrion, like da- Daenerys, like she's kind of not good anymore. We should kill her and have Jon be king. What do you think? And Tyrion's like, dude, we pledged to, to Dan- Daenerys. Like, no. And so they both go and tell on Varys to her. And then she kills him. This guy, who the entire show is so good at manipulating events and being secretive and doing the right thing, maybe with the wrong means, but whatever, instead decides to just like, no, you know what? Screw all the secrecy of treason. Let me just go ask the two guys that would tell on me for being treasonous if they want to commit treason with me. Oh, wait, they don't? Guess I'm going to die now. And, like, it was so unbelievably terrible. Again, representative of everything that happens. And as they're reading the script, he is reading what is happening as they're reading it aloud. He, like, at once he reads ahead, is like, oh, this is where I die. He, like, folds the script up tosses it on the table and just leans back and crosses his arms like he's fucking pissed and i loved every second of (laughs) that was the best part of the documentary (laughs) was seeing how pissed he was with with the shit that they made his character do and how unjustified so there you go game of thrones Probably the last time we'll talk about Game of Thrones, unless something else big and crazy happens. No, every time anything relatively Game of Thrones tangential happens or comes up, you're going to go on a five-minute rant about how it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, like, ten minutes ago, you said, not to rehash on Game of Thrones. Well, but I was... Okay, alright, whatever. Well, okay. (laughs) So we're done with Game of Thrones. We're done with Game of Thrones. Especially the final season of Game of Thrones. Like, think about it, though. Up oh, until... No, but but I, I'm only <laughs> responding to what you just said. This is justified. <laughs> Through season five, it was, to me, the best show ever made. Maybe Seinfeld. But it was up there as one of the best shows ever made, Kyle. For me. And after the last season, I, like, don't want to watch it again. Like, I will watch the early seasons to reminisce, but knowing where it ends, like, knowing what they, how they betray all of these characters, like, it ruins my desire to experience the journey again. And that fucking sucks. I feel like, not that long ago, you were getting on me about how I was talking about how the destination ruins the journey. And you were like, you can't look at it that way or something. I feel like several episodes, this might not be a one-to-one analogous situation, but I feel like you were getting on me about that. 
for that, something. I was, but that would be my argument that this is a different situation for multiple reasons. One, because I've already experienced that initial journey multiple times. Like I've seen the early seasons of Game of Thrones multiple times and they are still, those first three seasons in particular are still phenomenal. If I were to watch those in a vacuum and pretend like the show ends after the Red Wedding, that would still be amazing. My point is, I never want to watch the later seasons again. And for my OCD, if I'm going to re-watch a show, I'm going to re-watch all of it. And so not wanting to watch half of the episodes makes me not want to watch the whole thing. That's all I'm saying. It The ending of Game of Thrones doesn't ruin the beginning of Game of Thrones, but it does make me not want to re-experience the whole journey. That's the difference. It doesn't ruin the journey. It makes me not want to re-experience the journey. Okay, and I guess for me, to say that I don't want to experience it ever again, that is kind of ruining it. It's spo- like it spoils it. It it um, it tinge, it, tinge, it uh taints it. Oh well, yeah, a hundred percent. Like. If the ending of Game of Thrones was amazing, it would be better than if the ending of Game of Thrones was bad. Like, right. Duh. Well, that's what I mean by ruined. Well, and okay. Oh, that's right. What I was talking about was how they killed some of the Game of Thrones characters. How I was like, well, like knowing that they die in this manner, I don't want to watch. Or I, I it, it taints the previous moments of their lives and their accomplishments, knowing that they die in this manner. Right, and I am disagreeing with that. That's not my point. Like, the stupid fucking bullshit that John does in the final season doesn't ruin what he did previously because he was competent he was a competently written character before. It's not the actual thing he does that is bad, it's the way in which he does it, and that doesn't ruin anything that came before it. So you you don't then watch like early seasons of Game of Thrones and look at the things that Jon Snow does and be like, man, you're going to turn out to be just a fucking idiot. Hard to say because I haven't, like with the knowledge that I have now, I have not rewatched Game of Thrones. Yeah. But I feel like more, like I'm not mad at the character. Like I'm mad at David Benioff and D.B. Weiss for ruining these characters. Well, yeah, like, I, I'm not mad at it, the characters either. I'm mad at George R. R. Martin for writing a fiction in the way that he did. See, and, and I, I mean, and maybe it's just a fundamental, like, the disagreement is on what things are good or bad. Yeah. Because, like, like, the things that you are mad about in Game of Thrones, I, th- I think are awesome. Right. So it's hard to, like, it's hard to one-to-one that. Because I have complete faith that when the books come out, even if it follows the same trajectory that the show followed, like all of this, like Daenerys still becomes evil. Like all of that still, that stuff still happens. I have complete faith in George R. R. Martin to make it make sense. Like that's like, that's the problem with the way that it is now. It doesn't make sense, period. And that was never a complaint, even from you of the early seasons of Game of Thrones. Like, oh, when Rob dies, like it's not that that didn't make sense. You just didn't like it. Well, yeah, it sucked ass. Yeah, but that's like the Rob. difference. That's the difference, though. You are just mad that a thing happened to a character. My complaint is that thing shouldn't have happened to that character. It doesn't make sense. It's not justified in the story. And that's those are very different arguments. 
I tried to move on from Game of Thrones. You're the one that that drugged me back in here for another six minutes. Every time you think you're out, <laughs> drag you back in. So let's move on. What what have you been watching? Uh, I the only thing I really I'm watching anime, but uh, only thing yeah, I, buddy. Only other thing I watch like also a lot of old giant bomb content, a lot of old YouTube stuff. Um, but the wife and I watched the horror movie Insidious. Haven't there been like six of those now? Yeah, I've never seen any of them. She's seen it before, so we watched the first Insidious. It was fine. Mm -hmm. It wasn't very scary, but it was fine. Are you guys still on that thing where like you you regularly watch horror movies? Yeah. I don't get it. I don't know. Most horror movies are pretty bad. Yeah, that's my thing. Like, obviously, I don't like horror movies because I don't like being scared. But also, most horror movies suck ass. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> I do not disagree. <laughs> so what else you got? Uh, I read a lot of books because I worked. Um, so I started and finished Star Wars Master and Apprentice, which was about um, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, which I thought mm-hmm. it was written by Claudia Gray, who did, was it Lost Stars? She's done a couple other of the new Star Wars uh, fiction stuff. Um, she's pretty good. I, I, I think she's one of the better writers that's currently handling some of their EU stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I really liked this book because Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon is a very fascinating character that you never get to see a lot of just because he's only in the one movie. You don't have a lot of like, uh, you don't have a lot of context to what he's like before the events of the movie. Uh, you only ever really get context for Qui-Gon through Obi-Wan, um, which is fine. But I, he, he's a cool character because yeah. of also because of his connection to Count Dooku, who you yeah. also don't get a lot of information on except for I, – I guess you get more context for him in, like, the Star Wars Clone Wars show or whatever because mm-hmm. he's in it a lot. Um, but this book was about when Obi-Wan was Qui-Gon's Padawan – um, like, you know, before the events of Phantom Menace, obviously. Um, and it actually, it ends in like a really, you know, it ends with a short scene that I was not expecting it to end on. And it actually kind of hit me in a surprising way. Um, yeah, it was, it was actually really well done. It was a good book. Hmm. Uh, it, it, it talks a lot about the prophecies and stuff like that. Cause I guess like that's something that Qui-Gon was really into was the prophecies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. same with Dooku. Uh, well, that's where he got it was from Dooku when he was his Padawan, um, and they kind of they introduce another character that is interesting and has a little bit of an arc, um, and some like some other tertiary characters that I really enjoyed as well. Uh, just a, like a fascinating, fascinating quick read, only a few hundred pages. Um, it was good. I I would hold it up as one of the better new Star Wars books. Sure, uh, it it was surprising. Um, and then I read, uh, Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, the comics, volumes one, two, three, and four. Yes. That and this continues. Is the current yeah. Vader comic. That so they continues ended to be very Darth badass. Vader. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of cool things that happen. Some stuff that is drawn in a cool way. Darth <laughs> Vader's a cool guy. He is. He is very powerful. One might say one of the coolest guys in fiction. Once he is Darth Vader, yes. Yes. Not Anakin. Darth Vader. Yeah. Um, and then I read East of West, Volume 8, 
that they have been building towards this like end of days thing for like the past three or four trade. Well, really since the inception of the comic, um, but like really heavily for like the past three trades. And it's kind of at the point where it's like, just fucking end it because it, there mm. isn't like a stuff happens, but it doesn't feel momentous because it's like in service to this larger thing that's happening. And it just like, okay. like characters are dying and some characters are coming back. And I don't know. It's like, and also there are a lot of threads at work and i guess it's like it it never really hits the emotional highs that it needs to for the callbacks that it it attempts to make so it, it attempts to like call back to certain situations or show characters in certain lights that are supposed to have a great effect on you but they kind of don't because it never really hits the emotional highs when the initial thing with that character happens um i don't know i'm kind of i am less interested in east of west as of late just because mm. some of the writing is pretty up its own ass there are a lot of really interesting ideas but it gets very like the characters go on these like long diatribes of like what it means to be in this world and all this kind of stuff okay. like constantly like that's mm. kind of like some of the only dialogue in the comic is these long diatribes on that kind of crap uh, very philosophical like debates between characters. Um, I think the action in it is good, but that's also part of the problem is there hasn't been much action yeah. recently. Um, right. It's just kind of like building towards this thing that's going to happen. And I just want it to freaking happen already. Like I read, Has I read a whole any... trade and like, I, well, okay. They killed a character at the end of the trade, which was kind of a big deal. Um, but like, I didn't feel anything about it. Okay. So I don't know. It's, it's fine. It's a fine comic. Has there been an indication that they are ending it soon? I don't know. I only read the trades, so I have no clue. Um, I mean, like they have this character that is supposed to bring about the end. Um, mm -hmm. and there isn't really an indication of when that would happen, but it seems like everything surrounding that is really coming to a head um hmm. and like there was something that was a holdover from volume seven that wasn't addressed in eight like at all um well it was like they brought it up to like remind you that it happened but then they don't progress that thread at all in those yeah. issues from volume eight which was another problem i had because that was one of the few threads that i was actually emotionally invested in Okay. Um, so that was another issue with this current volume that I had hmm. um, was that that thread or that piece of the story didn't progress. Um, it's fine. I'm I'm interested to see how they're going to wrap it up. Right. Uh, you just want it to happen soon. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I'm ready to stop buying East of West. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, I know you were big into it when it first came out. And I know I borrowed yeah. it and had it for like nine months and never read it. <laughs> It's just, like, it's a really fascinating uh, kind of, like, patchwork of a lot of different styles um, kind of thrown together. But it does, like, the kind of the long, like, theological or philosophical discussions are still right. happening constantly. Right. And I can't fucking believe these characters have more things to say. <laughs> uh, but they sure do. <gasps> 
I feel that way about uh, ourselves on the podcast sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't believe we still have stuff to say, and yet here we are. Oh, silver chest open. <laughs> Great transition. What, what do you got? Uh, Everyone's dying to know. A, a dwarven axe that I'm going to dismantle for parts, among other mats. Awesome. Hell yeah. So worth the time. Well, what do you mean worth the time? All I did was <laughs> click a button. Of course it was worth the time. That's true. I, I clicked two buttons. <laughs> I clicked open. I waited an hour talking on the podcast, and then I hit open again, and I got stuff. <laughs> of course it was worth the time. Digital stuff. Well, all right. Let's talk about news. Uh, we'll see if we can't speed through this a little bit so we can talk about some E3 stuff. Yeah. First thing, we officially have a, I guess, like we got a better look at Death Stranding along with the release date. Yeah. That it's coming out in November, right? Yes. I'm genuinely shocked that it's coming out this year. Me too. Of like all of the games that got shown at that E3 press conference like two years ago, the fact that Death Stranding is the one that's coming out first, blowing my mind. Yeah, I mean, well, because it was last year, right? And so Spider-Man obviously came out. But was my money year? would have been on The Last of Us Part Two as yeah. being the next one. And then Ghosts of Tsushima and Death Stranding being like 2021 games. Right. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty shocked that it's coming out. I I mean, I'll let you talk about the feels on this. Because obviously I'm not interested because Kojima is a hack. But okay. like the from a Hot gameplay take. side, you see some stealth stuff, some melee combat stuff. Uh, he rides a motorcycle at one point. There's some gunplay. Um, there's also a mechanic. Uh, I guess broadly, it feels very Metal Gear Solid Five. Yeah, a lot of I open-ended agree. options of how to approach things. Um, Which that makes that a, makes sense because Metal Gear Solid Five was kind of the game that Kojima are always wanted to make. Yeah, uh, in a lot of ways, and so it makes sense that the game now that he's separated himself from Konami. It makes sense that this would be the game that he continues to make. Yes. There's a system where you can, like, like he uh, spawns a ladder. Yeah. And he spawns, like, a rope to, like, climb up a mountain and climb down a mountain. Um, which I'm like, cool, man. Because most of what you see is just Norman Reedus running around in a giant open space. So... Ladders and ropes enable you to run around even more open spaces. Yeah, but then there's also, like, all the other stuff, like the stealth and, um... Well, the stealth, he was just crouching in grass. Like, I don't know that there's, like, a big, legit stealth Like, I guess there's that later on thing with whatever the floating smoke monster things are where he's that's what i meant and he used he uses some like vision to try to see them or something yeah and then he also has like the little scanner the little droid that alerts when they're near yeah which that we we had already seen in the cinematic trailers um I, i mean obviously like you are psyched you are going to play this was there anything in here that changed how you had already felt so i was worried that it was like a walking simulator I was yeah. really worried. And to be fair, a lot of it does still seem that way. Like yeah. there's very I mean, clearly I mean, who a knows? mechanic. There's a mechanic around your pack. Yes. That scene where he's running away and he gets hit and he drops something and he picks it back up. Right. He takes something out of his pack and hits a guy with it. Yeah. So that clearly is a thing. And it shows a lot of different kinds of packs. So at the end of the day, a lot of this, I think, is 
going to be like a journey. Right. Not not journey the game, but a journey that the guy is taking yeah. of walking around the world. Which, Which I'm down for. fucking stupid, no, but I know oh you are down for God. it. Um, so, it, like, I was worried that there was going to be less game and sure. more of Kojima's, like, mad Bullshit. hat, like, storytelling. Yep. And it yep. seems like there's still plenty of that. Uh, but yep. there's more video game than I was initially expecting, which I'm happy about. Like, well, there seem to be more okay. mechanics and more, uh, more variety in terms of how you traverse and interact with the world. Like, to see some of like the video game of the game uh, in that trailer made me a little more confident about what it is because with Kojima who the fuck knows he could have made anything he could have made a yes. movie that you walk around in who knows yes but like to see that it is a video game ass video game in some respects makes me a little more confident I don't know that I would go so far as to say it looks like a video ass game video game ass video game yet because like you are right there are certainly more mechanics at play than like I anticipated there yeah. being I, I mean but I mean that stuff- in like he opened up like uh like a, it oh, is oh, actually like a, video a crafting game. menu like yes there's there's that there's there are ui elements because up until but now we haven't seen any ui elements most of what we did see were um what's the word not necessarily linear but like prompted gameplay like not emergent or exploratory gameplay with the exception of the oh i've set a ladder up and walked up it. But like the thing that happens with the dudes where he ends up running away in the motorcycle, the thing that happens when he's stealthing where the creatures pop up and they see him, like all of those were very scripted moments that trigger gameplay. So I don't know that we can say yet. Oh, I disagree. Like, I I think, I think the implication is that it is an open area. You are traversing and you are navigating these threats. It felt to me like the things that happened would happen no matter what. But like, the, like they also kind of did that in Metal Gear Solid 5, right? It was a blending of the two, and it was kind of sometimes hard to see the seams where, like, you would just be out in the open world, and then you drive, like, or you walk through a canyon, and then all of a sudden you're in, for, like, no part, you could not encounter this, but you go through this canyon, and all of a sudden you're in a sniper fight with Quiet. Like, they kind of blend the two together in Metal Gear Solid 5, and so that's what I'm assuming this is. Where, like, you could think mm. it's going to be some regular old encounter with the hazmat suit dudes, and then it winds up, like, uh, fucking Mads Mikkelsen rises out of the ground in black ink with his zombie skeleton soldiers, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to find out on in November. Yes. Yes. So, I don't know. Like, that's, that, that's the impression that I got, was there will be... Uh, like these open areas where it's kind of up to you on how you traverse, you're navigating different threats and there will be story beats that happen. Like they will feel emergent, even if you're really kind of subconsciously being funneled towards them in some way, or they have to adapt to the route that you take. I think he will kind of like pretty organically pull you into these situations because that's something that they accomplished with MGS five. And so I think yeah. he, I, I, I think that was a cool thing that was part of that game. I think that's something I would like to see them continue to do in this game. Obviously, like I didn't play Metal Gear Solid 5. I don't like Kojima's thing. I will say the thing that this confirmed for me was that this is 
more of Kojima's thing. Yeah. So we knew it was going to be from a story perspective with the, like, utterly random, ridiculous um, cutscene trailers we had seen. Right. And I don't... I mean ridiculous in a derogatory way, but it can also be... Like, if you're into that, it looked like more of that, right. is what I'm trying to say. And now we have seen, from a gameplay perspective, it is more of what... Thing, like, the thing you would expect from Kojima. Kojima. A lot of, like, kind of random gameplay mechanics that, like, I would say some of them are unnecessary, and, like, it feels like I have 80 ideas, and instead of distilling that down to the 15 that makes sense... We're going to do all 80 of them because that's been his thing since the beginning. And he's always been limited by technology until Metal Gear Solid 5, but that's always been his thing. He does everything he thinks of, and a lot of people like that, and a lot of people do not. Right. So I'm not, I'm, I guess I am placing quality on that, but for me, I am. I'm not saying it's objectively terrible. Bottom line, people that like Kojima's thing are going to love this game. Yeah. People that don't like Kojima's thing aren't going to like it. He's not doing anything to bring new people in with this. No. And he's not doing anything particularly surprising, at least from what we've seen so far. And I guess at at this point, it'd be probably hard for Kojima to be legitimately surprising because he is so random and weird. Like, he could do anything. So, like, it'd be hard to surprise someone when the understanding is this could literally be anything. Like you said, like... This could be a 12-hour movie where you occasionally walk a guy from right. point A to B, and that would make just as much sense. So, <laughs> um, yeah. If you don't like Kojima, you're not interested. And if you like Kojima, you're crazy hyped. There's really no in-between. Yeah. Like, I would be very surprised to see people like, I'm curious. Like, at this point, unless they're not really plugged in, to the well, video right. Game well, industry. also just because his whole marketing shtick has always been like to baffle people ahead of time right. and like mislead and misdirect and all that kind of stuff, like lie. Okay. Um, <laughs> at like, the end of the day, like be... misdirection is fine, but at the end of the day, there have been many times where they present or say he says something about a game that is a lie. That's not like misdirection and being mysterious. It's actual misinformation, which is a lie, and that I think is on that borderline of not being okay to do because then you're selling something that doesn't exist. Uh, but that's okay. a separate discussion. Um, I, whatever. Uh, so yeah, I forgot what I was going to say, but yeah, I think we've kind of said all we really need to say on death stranding. If you're into it, you're into it. If you're not, you're not. And this yeah. isn't going to be doing anything to change your mind. Um, and I don't think that anybody who, has not been into his games in the past are going to see any of this marketing and be like, yeah, that makes sense. That's for me. Like right. baby down the throat. That makes sense. Right. Like I, I watched the whole like gameplay trailer thing and ever, I was like, yep. Okay. Yep. This seems like this and boy, howdy, I'm not interested in whatsoever. Yeah. But like, on the other hand, it is, it's nice to see that he's sticking to the thing that people like him for. Right. Like, if he tried to do something, like, if he tried to make, like... If he tried to make it more mainstream, it yeah, would probably not, be extra terrible. Not even that, but, like, if he tried to do, like, a geometric puzzle game, like, that's just not what people want him to do. So I'm glad that he's at least, like, his fans, who are hardcore fans of his, I'm glad that they're going to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're gonna be, 
by and like 90% of people that like Kojima are going to love this game regardless of its actual quality. Like this this could release uh, and, but like and a- actual quality that's very subjective cuz like you you have to take into account like what people actually want from a Kojima game and that is to have a bunch of options which he will I'm sure he will have to have a crazy story that can have multiple interpretations which I'm sure he will have and probably not much else like to be impressive technologically because his games have always been technologically impressive mm-hmm. um and if you kind of hit those three hallmark things people will be happy and that doesn't mean it's a bad quality game like quality is i don't know that's subjective like it depends on what you're judging the quality of like if you're judging the quality of like mainstream games media yeah this game's probably not gonna be good quality but if you're judging it on it being a kojima game it will be good quality i would imagine but i i definitely disagree with that my point is i feel that not all but some of games media are capable of looking at something more objectively than mass media i think we can all agree on that my point is if this game reviews poorly 90 percent of the kojima fans will be pissed and say it's the greatest game ever made regardless of the critical response to said game because the critical response to metal gear solid 5 was very positive my point is if it isn't positive the kojima people won't pay attention to that they will they will still think and believe it is amazing but why would that matter right because I th- I just think it's a I-, I think that there is a fandom around Kojima that is not. It doesn't they make it doesn't make people blind to the flaws of a product, but that's also what the, I am. But saying. also the flaws that's of what a I product saying, don't preclude people from enjoying it. No, but that's what I am saying is I believe that the hardcore Kojima people, much like hardcore people of a lot of things, are unwilling or unable or both to see any flaws in the thing that they like. Okay, so are you likening this to, like, the Red Dead Redemption scenario where, like, there are aspects of Red Dead Redemption 2 that are fantastic and there are also aspects that are horrible and terrible and I can't believe they're in a video game in 2018, 2019... Um, where, like, people that love Red Dead Redemption 2 ignore the negative things about the game because they love it and therefore refuse to believe that there are any negative things? Is that kind of what you're... I definitely think that happened, and maybe that that's part of it. I feel like with Red Dead Redemption 2, is almost more that, like, they just pretended those things didn't exist. Like, whenever they talked about the game, it was only the positive things that they talked about. Right. Like, they didn't even talk or acknowledge. Like, you could read a review of Red Dead Redemption 2 that all they talked about were the graphics and the open world and the immersion and the story and the characters and did not even mention, you know, the part where it's a video game. Yeah. I, That's, I guess that was a separate I thing than this, which is where I, be- I think, and this is completely theorizing... I believe that because people that are fans of Kojima are so hardcore, and I'm not I'm not putting you into this bucket per se, but like the fanboy mentality about Kojima is that he can do no wrong. So even if he does wrong, you people won't admit that he did wrong. That's really what it is. And I think I think that's very different than with Red Redemption 2. Cuz there's not the same amount of fervor and like blind adoration to Rockstar that there is towards Kojima. Sure. 
But I guess, like, what what is the scenario that is playing out in your head? Like, the game comes out, like... It gets a bunch of sevens. It gets a bunch of seven out of tens. Okay. And then there are people who love Kojima, who love the game, and they say, hey, I can't believe you guys gave it sevens. That's ridiculous. It's a ten out of ten yes. game. Yes. Okay. Is the world going to crack in half? No. So we'll be, but this we'll, is a podcast where we talk about video games. Yeah. I feel like it's relevant. But, like, I, I guess I, I just, I don't see, I don't see why you have to be mad about that, about that, about the possibility. I wouldn't, quantify, I wouldn't quantify myself as being mad. I think it's, I just think it's dumb. And I feel like it's a, lar- it's a, we talked about this um, last podcast, I think. It's a, a symptom of a larger problem of this, like, anti-criticism. Sure. Where people are unwilling to acknowledge flaws in a thing that they love. Yeah. It's what happened with Game of Thrones. Like, people that love the final season are pissed at you if you didn't like it. And that, that's a ridiculous response. Like, I'm not going to be mad at anyone that loves Death Stranding. Even Like, if it is... Like, if I played Death Stranding and I thought it was a bad game and a bunch of people think it's amazing, I'm not going to be mad at those people because they think it's amazing. Like, that's stupid. I can think that they are incorrect. I can point out flaws that I believe are objective flaws, much like Red Dead Redemption 2. Like, we point at the gameplay deficiency of that game where it's like, there is no argument that you can make that this is good. Like, this, I feel like this is objectively a bad thing to put in a video game. And yet people are still like, no, I liked that. And I'm like, okay, well, you are like just fucking wrong at that point. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can believe that, but I'm not going to like be mad at somebody for liking something that I don't like or vice versa. And that is what is happening is people are saying, I like this thing. You don't like it. So fuck you. And I'm like, geez, like, that's like, that's like a, it's aggressive. And that happens a lot. And I feel like okay. it happens more with people that like something, like than with like if there are people that don't like something and someone does like it. I don't feel like many people say like "fuck you" for liking that. People say "fuck you" for not liking that thing. It's this anti-criticism where we have overcorrected, and it's crazy. So I just think like, and this is totally hypothetical, but specific. The reason it's relevant to Death Stranding is because of the fervor around fandom for Kojima. He, he, it's like this cult leader mentality that people have for him that no, really no other games creator has the way that Kojima has it. That's really more why this is particularly relevant. Okay. I just think it would be interesting to see. I think the reality is this game is going to review well. Because a lot of people are super into Kojima's weirdness. Yeah. And I am just an outlier in that I just, like, it's, yeah. I think his thing is, I actively think his thing is shitty. And so it's weird to feel so far on the outside of people like, oh my god. And I'm just like, I I just, I don't get it. I just do not get it. And I really, really don't get it. Yeah. It's not like a casual. I guess, like, I'm, I've am i always been interested in, like, absurdist stuff. And Kojima leans very heavily in that direction a lot of the time. I just don't see that. I just don't think he does. I think he is completely... I think he buys into all of it. No. He does it with a straight face. That's how it comes across to well, me. Well, yeah, he, he does it with a straight face because that's... How else are you going to do it? 
But I just feel like he's a like, Zack Snyder, like, where he's doing this, doesn't... like, he's doing these, like, random fucking dumb, but, and sometimes right. fun dumb. He's may- Maybe he's Zack Snyder if Zack Snyder also had an incredibly talented team surrounding him that was able to make his stupid, ridiculous ideas have a coherent and competent framework. Because all the Metal Gear Solid games have had a coherent, competent framework that contain these madness, these bits of Kojima madness. So may- maybe it's not that, maybe because it's not all Kojima, right? He has a huge team right. of talented people, but yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Because I don't think, and I don't, I don't think that his stuff is coherent. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but that is not something I think can be used. That is not a word that can be used to describe Kojima's Kojima's shtick. I mean, in terms of in terms of the game as a whole, coherent yes. in that maybe not necessarily the story as a whole, but the game as a whole, the gameplay a lot of times is coherent, and that is it is in service to the narrative I think you can say that about Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2 and I think a lot of that is because those are far more straightforward stealth action games and I feel like 3 is where things really went off the rails yeah maybe where I I think and it is possible to enjoy this but I think that there are way too many gameplay mechanics and elements to call it coherent it is very scat like not it's not scattered even in a bad way as I'm not even saying that but it is a bunch of weird pieces that just get pushed together and like enjoying that package is totally fine and thinking that the package works is totally fine but I don't think you could I don't think you can describe it as being coherent cuz that implies like a, an amount of like forethought and limitation on the scope of something and that is not his thing at all he, That's fair. Every single idea that he has is in his video game. Even if it has, even if one idea has nothing to do with another idea, they're still in there. That's fair. I will be fascinated to hear you talk about Death Stranding, and not just so that I can make fun of it, which I totally will. Like, let's be honest, because it's funny. Can't wait. But I like I'm genuinely curious to hear about the batshit stuff that's gonna happen. This is like this is the most unfettered Kojima that we've ever seen. Yeah. And that, if nothing else, is going to be fascinating. It already is. Like watching the I'm just I am dumbfounded by the bonkers shit that this dude thinks of. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious to me. <laughs> the fact where people think he's the greatest game maker ever. That's where I begin to be like, okay, you're a moron. Yeah, like, and like I don't like buy into his stuff. I'm not totally. like Yeah, the the the, the totally. meme and the id and the ego and oh yes. yeah. Like I'm not <laughs> sitting here like I'm not Dan Reichert. Um <laughs> I don't think he's some visionary. I and we've talked about this before, I appreciate when you can see a development studio's soul and passion in a yeah. project. And yeah. that like has never been more clear in than in a metal gear game, like in a Kojima game, like his weight, his craziness and wackiness. No one else in the gaming industry gets away with that shit. 
And that's why it's so fascinating Correct. for me and why I enjoy it. It's just like see to what lengths he will go to um, express his ideas in creative and off-the-wall ways. And like the ways in which he's able to get away with doing that. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not necessarily for the spectacle of it, although that is certainly a part of it. There's the Kojima games have an air of spectacle about them, for sure. Um but the you just you don't get that you don't get this experience anywhere else in the gaming industry. There's nothing else True. quite like it. And I think that's why I like it. Sure. Fair enough. Okay. I said we were going to try to race through these and then we just spent like a half hour talking about death training. Yeah. So uh Marvel's Avengers, it's a new game. They're going to talk about E3. We'll yeah. talk about it when we get to the E3 prediction section. Hooray. Call of Duty Modern Warfare, similar. We got a reveal trailer. Um, this is Infinity Ward's new game. It makes sense for them to go back to the Modern Warfare well, considering they made Ghosts and Infinite Warfare? Advanced Warfare? One I don't of them. remember which one they made. Whatever ones, the previous two games that they have made have been widely believed to be the worst of the modern Call of Duty games. The response to Black Ops 4 was also not positive in that it didn't have a single-player mode and people are getting sick of the very futuristic bullshit. So, yes, they are making Modern Warfare again. And it's not a reboot. It is a reimagining, a.k.a. we don't have new ideas, so let's kind of just do the same ones again. Yeah. Um, the way that they are trying to spin it is by saying... Um, it, it's we're adapting familiar characters and concepts to modern storylines and themes. So we don't want to write new characters or situations. So we're just basically going to remake the game only like if it was today. Yeah. <laughs> and not like awesome. 10 years ago. Great creativity there, Infinity Ward. You hey, guys are doing a great I'm job. I'm up for it because it looks fucking great. It oh, looks know, very good. I watched it. I just I didn't give a shit. Call of Duty like, has never looked better, and that was it, that was the thing that impressed me the most is because I've always felt that Call phenomenal. of Duty looks bad. Yes, it looks it graphically. It looks phenomenal. It looks um, creativity creatively bankrupt to me. Like it, it Hell does yeah. not look like they are. It does not look like there is any effort being put forth for this game. Hey, I live but life in the extreme. Mode. I've got Death Stranding and then Call of Duty Modern Warfare. <laughs> I live in the extremes, man. Nothing in the middle. Uh, yeah. So there's a single player mode. There's going to be multiplayer, which they didn't talk about. There's no zombies. They are not doing a, a DLC content pack. They're going to be doing free maps, which is smart. Comes out in October, to October 25th. And they have said that there will be many moments and situations that go beyond what no Russian did because we're so edgy in probably going to be day, in, in today's day and age. Like there's nothing you can do that feels so edgy the way that no Russian felt at the time. I the world hope, is so fucked I really up. hope they don't have you shoot up like a school or a church or like deal with a domestic terrorist bombing kind of stuff. Right. But that, that right there makes me feel like they will. Oh boy! Yeah, I no, I, I do not think they can get away with that. I can. I bet they do it. Well, 
their goal is to be in the headlines because the games right. have been selling less and less every year. So that would certainly get a lot of people talking about it Call of Duty. But sure it sure would. I mean, a lot of still, people talked about the no Russian thing. Yes. At the time, it, that was fucked. At the end of the day, Call of Duty is still one of the biggest franchises in video games. It has mainstream attention. And with all the talk still the, like decades later about how video games cause more violence and how they're rotting the brains of our youths. To, if, a, if a game like Call of Duty comes out and does something like that, we're screwed. I mean... The government's definitely getting involved I in would assume shit. in order to do that, they have to have you on the other side of it. You can't be the one committing oh, the atrocity. Fair. Right. But, like, you witness it still. Like right. Still or, like, like the you're there to try and stop it and, like, you don't yeah. quite get there in time kind of thing, maybe. I was going to say, if they're trying to go, like, super edgy and go beyond what No Russian did, how about, like, you kill a baby... That would be my sh- just shoot a baby in the face. That that's edgy. That's how you really get the media talking. Shay, you're a father. You can't say that kind of stuff. Killing babies. You shoot up an abortion clinic. Let's combine the two ideas. It's the heartbeat bill police force. <laughs> the the heartbeat bill task force. <laughs> Sorry, okay, yeah, we can't talk about that on this podcast. (laughs) Let's move on. Um, Okay, so we mentioned this. Microsoft uh, came out, or Phil Spencer specifically came out and said that Microsoft has 14 first-party games that they're going to be showing at E3, which, one, this makes sense, because they have more internal studios than they've ever had before, so obviously they should have more games than they've ever had before. And two... Hopefully this means that we won't get any more of the first-time exclusive console reveal trailer, worldwide reveal, exclusive, timed, before all the trailers. We're like, (laughs) all they're really saying is, this is the first time anyone has shown this trailer, but they make it sound like it's an exclusive game. Right. Like, it's like the, the, the kind of marketing that gives marketing a bad name, which I hate as a person who works in marketing. Yeah, intentionally obfuscated. Hopefully they won't feel the need to do that bullshit anymore because they'll actually have more games. Right, yeah. I don't ever want to have to ask the question, wait, is this an exclusive or a timed exclusive? Or I don't ever want to have to ask that question again. That sucks. So hopefully none of that. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more uh, in the E3 section about what kinds of games we know and think that they will show. Uh, But I'm sure there will be some surprises in there too, the stuff that we didn't know about. I I wouldn't be surprised to hear them announce that they've acquired another studio at this point. They're they're going after that stuff hard, so that would make sense to me. Pokemon. They did a Nintendo Direct specifically about Pokemon and announced a bunch of new shit. Um, There's a new app called Pokemon Home that's coming out in 2020. It is kind of a place to aggregate all of the Pokemon you have caught across your different devices and games. So it uses the 3DS's bank app for um, like Pokemon Sun and Moon. Uh, you can import your Pokemon from Pokemon Go, Pokemon Let's Go, the upcoming Pokemon Sword and Shield, where you have all your Pokemon in one place. You can trade your Pokemon from there. There's going to be some sort of like value associated to Pokemon because that's kind of their main goal they said right was to make all Pokemon have value together like it's not your Pokemon means something in each different game but aggregated it means something no idea what a lot of these announcements felt very 
like they were trying to catch on the coattails of, po- of Detective Pikachu movie. Right. Where, like people are talking about Pokemon, so let's announce a bunch of Pokemon stuff, even though most of it we don't really have details right, yet. Right, yeah, they didn't really have answers for any questions that people might have. Yeah. Uh, but they talked about it, so we're going to talk about it. They also announced Pokemon Masters, which is an actual mobile game. It lets you compete against classic Pokemon trainers. And they showed semblance of a turn-based combat system. It's coming out this year. We're going to find out more in June, presumably at E3. Hooray. That actually sound, does sound interesting. Like, if it's an actual facsimile of a Pokemon game, but on my iPhone, like, I can get down with that. Why not? Uh, they're Like, Sword and Shield are coming out. You don't fucking need that. <laughs> yeah, but that's going to be on my Switch. It's not on my phone. Like, I'm not bringing my Switch everywhere. Yeah, do I... Like, do this is something I could play... Do you need to play Pokemon on your phone? But, like, when I'm eating lunch at work, I can do a quick battle on my phone. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to bring my Switch to work. There's a, I, there's a use case for this. You could also talk I'm not gonna to play the people fucking... around you at lunch. No, fuck that. So, they announced <laughs> Pokemon Sleep, which is another app. It uses the time you go to sleep and wake up for gameplay. That's about all we know about it. And then it's a new device as part of this, the Pokemon Go Plus Plus, which is a hilarious name. So the Pokemon Go Plus was like a physical device that you could use for Pokemon Go. And this is the Pokemon Go Plus Plus. So it combines something from Pokemon Go and Pokemon Sleep, but we don't know what the fuck it does. It monitors you while you sleep. No idea why or how or for what purpose. Pokemon Sleep. this the Pokemon Minus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There already is a, a minus. Well, because a plus plus is just positive. Isn't there a Pokemon called minus? Well, yeah. Minin. And plusle? Minin and plusle. Oh, minin. Minin. Okay. There's a Detective, Detective Pikachu game coming to the Switch. It will continue the story of the original game uh, that was on DS? I think. 3DS? Maybe 3DS. It was several years ago. But uh, they didn't announce if that's... Like, it would make sense for them to port that over to Switch, too. Um, but that's all we know, is they're making one. Because, of course they are. Yeah. Whatever. Why wouldn't you, when you have one of the most popular franchises in any medium? Just yeah. make some stuff for it. <laughs> uh, a new Darksiders game is being teased, or leaked, really. Uh, so, presumably, we'll see that at 83 they uh the the release um i should say it's not a release the leak had a quote from someone like that they this they were like oh when they were talking about it they said this said it's a brand new darksiders game that takes the franchise in a fresh direction which is interesting um because they've been you know the first one was more of a zelda sort of game the second one was a little bit more open world and then the third one was more open world this is being made by the team that made the original or well, i should say a team made up of people that worked on the original the team that made darksiders 3 was a different team entirely so that's why it might make sense that hey they released darksiders 3 in 2018 how are they already releasing another darksiders game um because they're different teams working on them what else we got um oh okay so Man of Medan. 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 Man of Medan. Uh, this is the new game from Supermassive, 
who made Until Dawn. This is part of their The Dark Pictures anthology. So they're making five games. They aim to have two in 2019, two in 2020, and one in 2021. And this is the first one. It looks cool. Like, yeah. the whole vibe is to, like, combine some horror tropes. And so this one, it's combining, like, a ghost ship horror trope and also, like, um, um, like hostage. ruins and stuff, too, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they, showed a little, they showed a little, like, announcement trailer, which I actually thought was kind of lame, where it, like, walks you through the ship and it's like, oh, run or hide or die or live go left or right yeah and it was just it was way too long for all they were trying to say but the actual details there was a game informer article that i'll leak in the show notes on shayhazerlead.com that talks a little bit more about what they're doing in the game and it sounds cool i mean until dawn was awesome it was super surprise hit for me loved the characters not legitimately loved but ironically loved because they were all a bunch of horror movie trope characters and they were all just the worst yeah but it was that made it hilarious when they died which was the point but just the choice and stuff that they had in there was really cool. The way that it uh, made your choices seem like they mattered, even when they didn't. The story was really interesting. And again, the comp- the combining of different horror tropes in that game made it feel really fresh. So I'm really pumped to see what they do. As a person that does not like horror stuff, I'm totally going to play all of these. Yeah, Looks I'm really excited. I, my wife and I had a lot of fun playing original Until Dawn. So Yeah, same with uh, me and Kelly. I'm sure she'll want to check this out too. Uh, sea of Solitude is coming out in July. This was announced at EA's press conference at E3 last year. To me, it was probably the coolest looking game at E3 EA's E3 press conference last year. So I'm I'm excited that it's coming out soon. It's only twenty bucks, which again is nice. Um, good summer so game. We'll definitely be talking about that. Yeah, good summer game. Well, maybe not a good summer game because it's it seems like it's going to be really depressing. Yeah, so <laughs> it's great all about, summer like, fighting game. inner demons and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> If you feel too sad, you can go outside. Yeah. Um, we got a first trailer for Pixar's new movie, Onward, which we talked about last podcast when D- or Disney kind of released, here's all the big movies we're making over the next 55 years. This was Pixar's next project after Toy Story 4. Stars Chris Pratt, Tom Holland, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Did you watch this trailer? Yeah. I think it looks lame. I think it looks okay. And it, I mean, it was just a teaser trailer, but it just looks like, again, it looks like there, like there's no effort happening. And maybe once we learn more about like what the story of the movie is, it might be right. This was more like, it was a just a bunch of like, establishing Hey, thing. yeah. Like the universe is fantasy, but modern day. Like that's literally yeah, all like it is. If a and fantasy that's just world so, was like 2019. So like they have like suburbs not, and stuff. It's not unique. It's just not clever. And it's been... They've done it so many times at this point. Like, even Zootopia, for as great as that movie was, that's how that felt. It was like animals, but modern day. Yeah, this feels like another Zootopia. Yeah, like, it's just as boring. Which I liked Zootopia a lot. Yeah, it was so great. So maybe this will also kind of hit some of those same notes and be yeah, okay. That, that's fair. Pixar has a relatively strong track record. <laughs> yeah. Although... Most of their recent stuff has not been nearly as good as stuff they've done in the past. Sure. And a lot of that comes down to sequel fatigue, where they're making sequels to movies that they shouldn't have. Cars 3, Finding Dory. Um, what was another one? Incredibles 2, but you liked Incredibles 2, didn't you? Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. It was better than I even thought Toy a Story 4. Incredibles was going to be. Like, I'm going to see Toy Story 4, but I'm kind of like, even Toy Story 3, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm not sure we need to make another Toy Story. So... 
that's just how I'm generally feeling that malaise towards Pixar because they're not doing new, like, but when they do do new stuff, Up, Wally, a couple years ago, like those were phenomenal yeah. movies. So I guess there's a little bit of trust still for them in creating a new, a new universe. But Brave, I didn't like Coco, I didn't like The Good Dinosaur, I didn't like that much. You didn't like so Good Dinosaur. Been, it was okay. It was fine. Yeah. I just feel like they've been really hit or miss. More so than they were like. It used to be every single movie Pixar made was a must-see, like, best picture level amazing yeah, film. Yeah, I mean, like, how do you keep and that up? it's not that. You can't keep that up. You're going to have saying a couple you can. bummers. Yes. I am not saying that they should be able to keep it up. I am only saying that is why I am not as... I'm not giving them as much faith as I did before. All right. Because they have proven now that half of their movies aren't that great anymore. I don't care about Tom Holland, but I really like Chris Pratt. So, just because of the Spider-Man movie, like, the, well, no, have, I, I, I don't like what he in, does. You have seen him in nothing. I've seen plenty of like bits of him <laughs> from Spider-Man. Yeah. So you've seen you have like what movies have you actually seen Tom Holland in? Uh, Avengers: Civil War is that it? Yeah, and then like trailers and like snippets of movies. No, not the question. You have seen him in one movie. Yeah, I don't really like his thing. In a small role. Yep. And then the trailers that you've seen of him have been him playing that same role that you don't like. Right. You cannot say that you don't like Tom Holland as an actor. You haven't seen him in anything. Yeah, I have. In one thing. Yeah, and like other trailers and stuff. For the same thing. Right. You you don't like Tom Holland's Spider-Man. You cannot say you don't like Tom Holland, the actor. I can't. You don't it's know my anything yet. That's that is an unjustified, uneducated opinion. That is a bad opinion. Thank you. That is an objectively bad opinion because it is un, it is unfounded. You what did you say? I said thank you. Okay. I, I like Chris Pratt. I'll probably like that movie. Chris Pratt is great. Julia Louis Dreyfus is also great. Um. So here's something that. I do have a well-founded opinion on this actor. Oh, God. Robert Pattinson. You know, the guy from the Twilight movies and nothing else good. Um, That guy, the guy who's never been good in a single thing and was really terrible in a film franchise that was really terrible. Right. He's Batman. He's Batman. That's our Batman now. Being directed by the guy that did Cloverfield... And some of the Planet of the Apes movies. See, this would make sense if he was Batman in a Batman Piderman film. But not in an actual Batman film. I could see him as Batman. <laughs> the hell is that? Oh, you don't know you don't know Batman and Piderman? Or maybe it's Poder, no. maybe it's Poderman. Oh, they're look it up. They're very funny videos. Like terribly animated and like they're like it's like they have no bones and they just kind of like flop around everywhere and like i'm batman i'm piderman come over to house we're best friends and then it's just like a bunch of random it's very new groundsy the humor is old school new grounds like the llama (laughs) song it's very that it's good stuff anyways Robert so if they were going to make a Batman, Batman and Spider-Man movie, they need would to. Would make sense for Robert Pattinson. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm saying he's a I fucking just, joke is what I'm saying. <laughs> I All continue to, to be dumbfounded by the decision making of DC and Warner Brothers. You'd think by now you wouldn't be. Because they've made so they, many bad decisions. You'd but think like you'd be they, used to it. But they make new and shocking bad decisions. <laughs> like they aren't they aren't repeatedly making the same bad decision. They're finding different ways to make bad decisions. <laughs> and that's like kind of like I kind of respect the yeah. the commitment to mediocrity that they're going for here. Uh, sub mediocrity. Yeah. And everybody's like everybody hated when they cast Heath Ledger as the Joker. Give him a chance. And my response is, okay, but Heath Ledger also never really had an opportunity to do legitimate acting because he was only in, like, romantic movies. Robert Pattinson is trying to have a legitimate acting career. He's mostly done, quote-unquote, legitimate acting roles in the past, like, five years, and he's sucked ass in everything. Like, we have a, a, a wealth of work to know. Also... Matt Reeves is not Christopher Nolan. <laughs> like, do we think that a guy that directed Cloverfield and a couple of War of the Planet of the Apes movies, do we think that this guy has the experience and chops to to get the performance of Robert Pattinson's career? Really? Especially when this guy is the backup director that took the gig when Ben Affleck dropped out. Like, this is the argument... How do people still have faith in what is going on over there? Mind-boggling. Yeah. All right. You ready to talk about E3? Please. Let's not talk about Robert Pattinson anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So first, just to to high level, talk about the press conferences, when things are happening. Just to educate and inform. That's all we want to do here on the Shades Everything podcast. Just teach you. We want you to learn something every episode. So the E3 schedule. Sony's not there. EA is not having a press conference, but they are doing their EA Play separate event, which starts on Saturday, June 8th at 2 p.m. And I think is Saturday and Sunday, I think is as long as it lasts. All of these times are Eastern time. Eastern time, yes. Eastern standard. On Sunday, Microsoft kicks off the press conferences at 4 p.m., Followed by Bethesda at 8.30, and then Devolver Digital is doing their insanity at 10 p.m. Eastern. And then on Monday, Check a PC Gaming Show is at 1, where they usually talk about some PC stuff. And they usually have like a couple of games or additional trailers or gameplay. PC Gaming Show is usually relatively missable. Um, limited Run Games Press Conference. Do you know what this is? I saw this, and I did not know what that was. So I, th- I think... Is it like a limp? Is it like a, an indie games showcase thing? I think limited run games remakes carts of old games and like reproduces ah, them, or they okay. do like collector's editions of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm I'm looking them up right now. Um, Yeah, games. Well, regardless, that's a that's a smaller thing than Oh, never mind. Like a- no. They um they do a lot of like they do some ports of stuff. Um interesting. 
Yeah, it, yeah, okay. It looks like they do ports of old games and some Japanese games. Okay. Um, they are working on the new Odd World, new and tasty. Or mm-hmm. they have. Oh wait, no, hold on. That's Odd World, new and tasty for PS3. That's weird. <laughs> I don't think they're probably working on that still. Yeah, weird. And they also have a collector's edition for PS3. Well, whatever. They say coming. We don't really soon. know what that is. Okay. Yeah, I I thought I knew what they were. But I don't it know. doesn't matter. We're spending too much time talking about a thing we don't know what it sure. is. Sure. If you're interested, look for it at 3 p.m. Limited run games, and maybe you limited can tell us run what it is. physical games for Vita, PS4, and Nintendo Switch. So they bring games that were previously only available in digital to a physical medium and uh, collectors editions. Okay. There you go. Awesome. That's what I thought. Ubisoft is at 4 p.m. and then uh, Kind of Funny Games is doing a showcase at 7:30. I don't think anything would probably be announced at Kind of Funny Games, but they'll probably do like a sit-down chat with developers, show some gameplay demos, that sort of thing. If you're into that, I will not watch because I don't think those guys are funny. Nope, um, not even kind of. And then Square Enix is at 9 p.m. I don't know how long their thing is, but in the past, it's, it's been more like a half hour than an hour. And then on right. Tuesday... The 11th is Nintendo's Direct at noon Eastern time. So, like I said, no Sony press conference, no EA press conference, which is a bummer. But, let's talk about what we're going to see, what we're probably going to see, and then what we would like to see. So, EA Play. No press conference, but they're going to be showing stuff. They're going to be announcing stuff throughout the weekend. We already know for a fact Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order will be there. I'm guessing we're going to see some actual gameplay, if not have people be able to take it hands-on at the press con- or at the um, at EA Play. I'm sure we will also see new FIFA and Madden. Uh, like we mentioned, Sea of Solitude that was announced last year. I probably won't see anything new from that because it comes out on July 5th. It's a smaller game, right? But we will probably see more of their EA Indies thing. Like last year they had Unravel 2 and Sea of Solitude. They always have little games like that that they want to bring to the forefront. So they'll probably use this as an opportunity to have one or two small studio games uh, that they're publishing. Anthem might make sense. Um, That'll probably be playable there just because they keep trying to push it and get people to play it. They're like starting to talk a little bit about more... I don't even want to say it's DLC, but like what the next thing for Anthem is. So that could be there. And then the big announcement that I think that they might have is just the next Battlefield, just to fully like unveil and have be- people be able to play it at the show. Yeah, Anything I else? forgot. I bought Anthem. I never played it. Oh, really? I own Anthem digitally on PlayStation Four. And you uh, never even touched it. I never even booted it. Yeah, I backed out. I was planning on getting it. And then I was, after seeing all this stuff, I was like, no, this seems like more destiny, only even worse. Right. Pass. Yeah. And I'm glad maybe, I didn't. Maybe I'll, I'll see what they have to say about it at E3 and maybe that would get me to actually boot it up. But yeah, I, I just remembered I bought it and never launched it. I think the issue is that you're going to need people to play with like yeah. regular crew, not randos. Because the game is not meant for rando matchmaking. Just the way the story is structured. And like the limitations around actually running through the different levels. 
how it like right. fast forwards you if someone else goes faster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so Microsoft. 14 game studio Microsoft. We know that they are showing Gears 5. We know that they are showing Halo Infinite. And we know that they are showing Session, which is their skateboarding game. Yeah. Games that were announced previously, or that make sense because they're annualized, a new Forza, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which was announced last year, which we still don't have a release date for, The Outer Worlds, which is supposedly coming out this fall, um, where I would imagine we're going to see some gameplay of it. Tunic, which was a really awesome, like, Legend of Zelda-inspired, where you play yeah. as, like, a cute little fox guy. Zelda like a fox. Yeah, um, that game looks amazing. They announced last year that that game became is now an Xbox exclusive on consoles. It's still coming to PC, but um, that game still doesn't have a release date, and it was announced like two or three years ago, so I'm hoping to see more and get an actual release date because I want to play it. It looks great. And then they teased Battletoads last year. So the rumor is that Rare is helping out with the Battletoads game, uh, and I know they're still working on Sea of Thieves and trying to get that thing to hit, and it isn't. But uh, it could make sense for them to be helping out with Battletoads and to maybe show an actual trailer like of, of the game versus just a little title card teaser. And then stuff that is um, new. So they have all these new studios, including Ninja Theory, makers of DMC, Devil May Cry, and uh, Heavenly Sword, which was a PS3 launch exclusive. Their next game... They apparently, uh, a month or so ago, trademarked the title Bleeding Edge, which sounds like a game title for a Ninja Theory game. Yeah. I think it's probably safe to assume that this will be a character action game because that's what most of their games are. Um, Maybe a darker tone because that's what most of their games are. So that all tracks. And that could certainly be... Given the size of Ninja Theory, could certainly be one of the games, like, of their newly acquired studios, they they would be ready to show something. So, I think that probably makes sense. Fable 4 probably makes sense. That's been rumored for a while of them bringing that back in full force. So, I think that that's going to happen. And then the only other things that I wrote down is maybe we get some details on the Halo TV series. Because I don't know. That would be interesting. Seems like they could do that there. They've talked about... Obviously, when they announced the Xbox One, they talked about all the TV and and all that bullshit that people didn't care about. Right. But given that it's Halo, it's huge. They could talk about that. And then um, new console. That's the biggest question mark. Are they going to unveil their new console, get out ahead of Sony in that regard? Especially because Sony's not having a press conference, so Sony can't really fight back in any way. That would probably be smart. But would also probably take up a big chunk of the press conference. And they have said they're really focused on games this year. So, who knows? They could save it for their own thing separately. That's not 14 games. But I don't really know what else. A lot of their new studios just don't feel like they would be ready to talk about anything yet. Um, Or unless they were working on stuff before the acquisition. But hard hard to say for sure. Yeah. What about Bethesda? I feel like there are less question marks with Bethesda. So we're talking; they're talking about Doom Eternal, which is probably going to be their centerpiece game because they just don't really have anything else. Right. Um, they will show more Elder Scrolls Blades. They will show more Elder Scrolls Online because, of course, I think they will probably show more Wolfenstein Youngblood, which they announced last year, which is the co-op Wolfenstein game. They have said that there will be no Starfield 
and no Elder Scrolls 6. I don't know how they get away with not having something from one of those. Like, even if it's just another 60-second teaser trailer. I don't know. Like, I feel like I just, we, we talked about this before. Maybe they try for a hard turnaround on 76. How? Just because, like, I don't like they show off all the new changes and stuff that they're planning and making and all like because they recently had a big update. Uh, like one of their planned uh, content drops happened semi recently. Yep, um, Wild Appalachia. Yeah, and so maybe they hit that really hard. Be like, hey, look, we listened. We've like the game is stable. It is now in the state that perhaps maybe it should have been last year. Uh, we are adding this content, this content, this content. Now is a great time to hop in. We're offering this amount of currency for free for people who play from this period of time to this period of time. Pop in and check it out. Like now is a perfect time to do it. It's in a much better state, and our team's been working really hard on it. I don't. Maybe that's a, that's a hard move that they can make. Uh, the other hard move is that they don't bring it up at all. Because of a lot of the negative press? I don't know. Yeah, I I mean, thinking it through, I think they have to talk about Fallout 76. Yeah. They're still releasing content for it's it. It's their game as a service game right now. Like, they need to yeah, update. Yeah, they have to talk about it. Yeah. Even if no one gives a shit, they have to talk about it. Much like, I mean, not that nobody gives a shit, but they always talk about Elder Scrolls Online. Right. And that's not like a big game that everyone's talking about, but it has a strong user yeah. base i mean it's big for them like clearly it's still a revenue generator yes absolutely definitely more so than fallout 76 for yeah. sure but i guess the context of how they talk about fallout 76 will be the interesting thing right is it just pretending like the game's fine and like oh here's all the exciting new stuff or is it some kind of acknowledgement that they maybe the direction of the game was not good and they are trying to take a new path towards bringing people back i don't know I don't know what that new path would be short of it's going to be a single player game where we're adding NPCs. Like, I don't, I don't know how they can <laughs> get people to play it that aren't short of doing that, which uh, isn't going to happen. So that, that will be interesting. Ubisoft. So recently they announced Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which they will definitely show some gameplay of. And then the rumor mill stuff. So Splinter Cell was rumored for last year and didn't happen. Watch Dogs 3 was rumored for last year and didn't happen. Those two totally make sense. We've talked about it a bunch of how they've said they have three to four AAA games releasing before March 2020 or April 2020. Those two are probably two of those games. Um, Last year, we saw Skull and Bones. We saw Beyond Good and Evil 2. Skull and Bones was delayed, and we haven't heard hide nor tail of Beyond Good and Evil 2. I could go either way on those. It would make sense if they showed them. It would also make sense if they didn't talk about them at all. Other stuff. For Honor sequel we brought up. That game they've been supporting really well, much like most of their kind of service games. Um, They've been putting out a bunch of new content for that still. It has a pretty solid following, much like Rainbow Six Siege. So they could just keep it as a service model where they continue to release content versus putting out For Honor 2. But I wouldn't be surprised to see some more of For Honor at at the um, press conference. Assassin's Creed is probably a safe bet. Their Vikings game that they have kind of confirmed is happening. The rumored titles are Assassin's Creed Ragnarok and Assassin's Creed Kingdom, which I think are both pretty cool titles for Viking-themed Assassin's Creed games. 
I was going to say that might be like the closer, but Assassin's Creed is such a known quantity at this point. I don't feel like you can close. Like Ubisoft usually closes their press conference with like a big new announcement, which would have been Ghost Recon Breakpoint. But since they already announced it, I think it's probably Splinter Cell that they would close the show with. That would make the most sense. Splinter Cell or Watch Dogs. Yeah, or Watch Dogs. They might have a new Just Dance game. In fact, they probably have a new Just Dance game that they'll open the show with some painfully awkward dance number two. Boy. They always seem to have a new Trials game. <laughs> Maybe a new Rayman game. I don't, like a lot of those like franchises that have been around a long time. But I feel like even with the, the roster that we just walked through, that's a pretty strong showing yeah. of announcing two big games. The other one that's been leaked-ish is called Roller Champion, which is like a roller derby game with like single and multiplayer modes. Which sounds fucking weird as hell. Sounds like something a French yeah. <laughs> publisher would make. Uh, so that that I mean that could potentially be cool, but it'll probably be excuse me a big multiplayer game, which isn't really what I'm looking for. Square Enix. We know they're talking about Marvel's Avengers, which we mentioned, which is a really unimaginative title, but that's fine. I'm hoping Crystal Dynamics makes it good. And Dying Light Two, which I think they announced that two years ago. And then didn't talk about it last year? I believe that's what happened. But that game's got to be coming out relatively soon. Like, early, first half of 2020. They've been they've been it's talking about that gotta for a while. It's got to be, right? And then Final Fantasy VII, they re-unveiled. So we could see some gameplay there. Babylon's Fall, they announced last year with the cinematic trailer. So maybe we'll see some more of that. Per usual, it, doesn't, it just doesn't feel like Square Enix has much to talk about. Yeah. Maybe there's so some the- follow-up to Nier. Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Oh, no, we did talk about that. Whatever, like, if it is a new Nier, if it's his next game, might make sense. Right. What's his, whatever was his name is, that dude. Um, yeah, so that's kind of Square Enix. It's probably going to be shorter than an hour, because it usually is. They usually don't have a ton of stuff, but hopefully it's better than last year, which was totally pointless. <laughs> and actively hurt. Yeah. Like, showing Shadow of the Tomb Raider hurt that game. So, hopefully that doesn't happen with Dying Light 2 or something, where it looks worse than it did the first time. <laughs> Nintendo. Um, we're going to see Super Mario Maker 2. We're going to see Pokemon Sword and Shield. Duh. We are probably going to see Animal Crossing. I know you really hope we are going to see Animal Crossing. If there isn't, I'm a riot! Yeah, it's it would be crazy for them not to ship. Because it's coming out this year, right? And we don't know anything about it. I don't know it. that I've seen anything confirmed, though. Oh, I, I thought they had said 2019. confirmed it. I thought, like, a while ago, before they announced Sword and Shield, they had said Pokemon in 2019, Animal Crossing in 2019. Uh, but I couldn't I know. Wrong. Last year, they announced Damon X Machina. Last year, they announced Fire Emblem Three Houses, Luigi's Mansion 3. All those could, could resurface. Also, the Link's Awakening remake. Which does not have a release date as of yet, but is supposed to come out in 2019. Probably see a trailer with a release date for that guy. And then the only other thing that I was thinking of um, to bring back Splatoon 2 with some new content. They're doing a tournament before the Direct about Splatoon 2. That's so true. That could be part of it. Um, same with Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. They could announce some new characters or something because they're doing a tournament of that game too. And then my only prediction, because we are not going to see Metroid Prime 4... Because the total, they're starting over from scratch, and the only thing we had seen was a title card announcement. I just cannot imagine 
that we're going to see more Metroid Prime form this year. Yeah. But they could release Metroid Prime Trilogy with the first three games for Switch. That could be cool. Or maybe now some other Legend of Zelda remake. Ah, eh, that would probably go against Link's Awakening. That would make it feel less special. Yeah. But Metro Prime Trilogy would make sense to me. Right. I mean, like, especially if you're not showing Metroid Prime 4 at all. Right. I feel like you need to give those people something. Right. Because that was, like, one of the big promises when the Switch came out was, hey, new Metroid game. And it's not going to happen for a while. So, got to give people something. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then we have some other third-party stuff. Which will be interesting to see where this stuff lands. Yeah. Because in years past, it was always, will it be at Microsoft or will it be at Sony? And this year, it can't be at Sony. And Microsoft only has a certain amount of time. They can't have everything shown there. Much less, like, they always got to work out co-marketing deals, etc. to be shown. So, Borderlands 3, we know, is going to be at E3. Not sure if it would be at the Microsoft press conference or if they would just do their own thing on the show floor. And maybe release a gameplay trailer. Um, Cyberpunk 2077. They said will be at the show, but they also said it will not be playable at the show, which is a bit of a bummer because yeah. that means it's probably still a little a little ways off. And then Psychonauts 2, we know is going to be there in some capacity. This could easily be a little trailer at the Microsoft press conference. It only takes up two minutes. That, that could very easily happen. And then the rumored games or games that have been previously announced that are not out yet. So as we mentioned, Darksiders 4 or whatever they would call it, Control which last year was announced at Sony's press conference. Um, yeah. And I think might be a PlayStation timed exclusive. I don't remember, oh, but no. that could be there. Call of Duty Modern Warfare, obviously. They previously had aligned themselves with Sony the past couple of years after having been Microsoft stalwart. Could they go back to Microsoft now that Sony's not going to be there? Who knows? But it's probably safe to assume we're going to get something Call of Duty related. As we already talked about, the Dark Pictures Man of Medan. Medan? Medan? Um, Destiny 2? Huh? Eh? I know they're still doing, like, big events, and they, like, they keep teasing, like, oh, we have, we're talking about the next stage of Destiny, but it also feels like they've so doubled down on their core audience instead of trying to be more mass market that E3 might not be the best venue for them. And then another game that was announced last year at Sony's press conference that needs a new home would be Neo 2. So that was just a title card announcement. Probably not a game that's coming out even in 2020, so it also wouldn't surprise me if we heard nothing about Neo 2, but that could show up as a, just a trailer where they have some sort of behind-closed-doors thing at the show. Yeah, and I feel like with Sekiro being so fresh, yes. maybe Neo 2 put a little space, yes. give it a little time. That's fair. And now predictions. So this is just the like non-E3 press conference-related... What stuff do we expect, hope, think we will see at the show in some capacity? Previously, George R. Martin had announced that he is working with From Software on a new game universe. Could be. Maybe. Might be too early knowing George R. Martin's style of taking decades to do anything. Right. Um, But that could be a big announcement. It is weird to think... From Software is, like, announcing a lot of stuff. Yeah. And obviously, Sekiro just came out, so maybe too early on that, but that could be uh, pretty hyped up. Resident Evil 8, maybe? It's been, what, two years since Resident Evil 7? Yeah, they did the RE2 remake. I have no idea what the direction of that game would be, but that could make sense. 
Um, Resident Evil 3. Okay, you wrote that down. Yeah. So they've done Resident Evil 1 and 2 remakes. So you just think that that's the next logical step? Yeah, it's like Resident Evil 1 was just kind of like an upscaling, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but Resident Evil 2 was like a full reimagining. Mm-hmm. So I would really like to see them do that with like 3. I don't know if I'm ready for them to do that with 4. I don't know if I ever want them to touch that game. I think it's ever. T- yeah. Because it's perfect. But well, I, could, yeah. I would be okay with them doing three. I don't. Yeah, really I think even with four. Three, so. Like, not even that four was so good, but that it's still too recent. Like, I think they can get away with three, but I think four is still too recent. Yeah, maybe. Also, they'd keep re releasing it on every platform known to man. True. That's also true. Um, okay, so this is a game that's been, like, little leaks and rumors here and there. So it is a new Batman game from WME Montreal, who are the folks that made the Arkham Origins game. Not the Arkham Trilogy, but that other mostly forgotten Batman game that people didn't like as much. <laughs> the, the You know, the people that made that one. Great. Um, them working on a new Arkham game, which I guess the rumored title is Batman Arkham Crisis. Which, like, come on, guys. Let's just call it something else. Let's There's move a crisis. on beyond Arkham. Uh, but the rumor is that this follows the Court of Owls storyline from the comics, which would be really cool. It's a really cool storyline. That's, like, right when I stopped reading comics. But it, like, introduces this whole secret society, like this Illuminati in Gotham that had been manipulating events since, like, the early 1900s that I think Thomas Wayne was part of. Uh, which, like, I think that, like, might have been one of the reasons he was murdered. Like, uh, there was a whole conspiracy around that. But it's a really cool storyline, um, which I guess the rumor is that Arkham Crisis will follow that from the comics. Similarly, we know Rocksteady is working on a broader DC-themed game, and the only thing we know is that it is not Batman and it is not Superman. Is it Justice League? Is it The Flash? Is it Green Arrow? No idea. We just know that it's not Batman. It's not Superman. And we know that at some point they need to unveil it. Because this was a big prediction going into last year. Which didn't happen. So, maybe this year. And then there's that Harry Potter RPG. That like some leaked gameplay came out. That would be so nice if we saw that. Nine months ago. I would and love that. There was no indication that that game was like cancelled or anything. It was just leaked gameplay from a game that was being worked on. So... Who knows? It'd be another WB game. That's a lot of WB games, though. And then um, Dead Island 2, which they have said they're still working on. Probably makes sense for them to unveil that if they are actually still working on that game after announcing it in like 2014. And then the last two are the games that you and I will just keep hoping for until they happen. Right. Mine is a new Bioshock. I hoped for it last year. I hoped for it in 2017. They keep saying that they are working on a new Bioshock. There were rumors that the team from Mafia 3 split off to work on a new Bioshock. And we hear hear nothing about a new Bioshock. I have no hopes that it will be as good as the original Bioshock. Especially with Ken Levine not being involved. But I would love a new Bioshock. My choice. Your game. Is a Xenosaga HD Trilogy. Come on. I would also play the hell out of that, to be fair. Come Not just for you. Come on. Uh, yeah. And 
That one give us give us the, the speed up ability. Like <laughs> right, all those like great, all these great remakes have. Yeah, the only difficulty with Xenosaga is it doesn't have the amount of following that a lot of these older games that are getting remakes have. I know. Like, there aren't as many people that love Xenosaga. I'm with you. Xenosaga's great. It is. It's one of the more underrated JRPGs. I love it. But that one, I feel like, is a is a longer shot. Yeah. Because, like, who? Who would do it, you know? Platinum Games. They, <laughs> sure, they got not? kicked off their <laughs> other <they> project. <laughs> just keep platinum. making games. <laughs> if any, like, yeah. Any game that's being made, just have Platinum make it. Platinum or from software. I feel like those <laughs> studios are just making everything now. Yeah. And that's it for E3 stuff. So, it's it's kind of difficult because of the way things have changed. Yeah. Like, things leak so often now. And particularly with, like, EA and Sony taking a step back. There's not as much prognostication as years past. And I feel like it's going to only trend farther into that direction. But rest assured, next episode will be primarily focused on talking about all the shit from E3. So we'll deep dive on everything that we saw, feelings, whatevers, how smart we were or stupid we were with our predictions. Of which, I guess there aren't even that many, to be honest. But uh, yeah, E3 is always a fun time, even though it's lessening in scale, which bums me out. But uh, even running down that list, like even of the games that we know are going to be there or that have already been announced, the future is still bright. This isn't a situation where, like, video games are dying. You know what I mean? Like, there's still a lot of awesome games that are coming out in the next couple of years. I say that mostly to myself because I've been... I'm pretty yeah. down on 2019 in games. So, I, it's, that's mostly for myself to say, like, it, it gets better. Yeah. Sometimes we say <laughs> the things that we most need to hear. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Before we wrap up, we got some other shit. So, no hate of the week... Um, let's call it David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. There you go. That's my hate of the week. Mine is, uh, I, I cut it. is Batman. Hey, that's a great one. We have enough other stuff. I'm already two and a half hours in. I didn't want to add a hate of the week. But, as I mentioned last episode, if you write a review for the podcast on iTunes, I will read it. I'm pulling up iTunes right now to make sure that no other reviews came in in the last couple of days. They did not, but we did get a new review from Chet You Betcha eighty seven on iTunes. Love that username. Great five star parents reference. Five star review. Duh. And Chet has this to say: the review is titled "Great Pod." The body of the review contains great content, and that's it. Hell yeah. Great pod. Great content. Thank you, Chet, for the five-star review. Correct on all counts. If you have not written a review for the Shea Hates Everything podcast, do that thing, and I will read the review. You can make it short and sweet like Chet, or you can make it longer and potentially less sweet, and I will still (laughs) read it. (laughs) So do that. And emails. So, our stalwart friend Steve in DC wrote in another email, but first, our good buddy Aaron also wrote in, so let's let's talk about his first. Aaron writes, hey guys, I've got a question for you. If you could play any role from any TV show or film, what role or character would you be, and what would you do different than the original actor? 
preferably based on interest, not money or potential future roles. Which, like, first of all, Aaron, let me take a job for whatever reason I want, okay? Like, if I want to take a job just because it makes a lot of money, that's my prerogative. Don't judge me. Uh, also says, as a side note, I just finished the Great Food Trick Race. Spoiler alert, I didn't like the team who won. I found them to be very annoying and even a little creepy sometimes. Thanks for continuing to do the podcast. I listen to every episode the day they come out on Podbean. Thank you, Aaron. You spoiled the end of the Great Food Trick Race for me. Mostly because I had only, the only episode I had not seen was the finale. So it was down to two teams. And the, when he says, I found them to be annoying and even creepy, I knew immediately which team it was going to be. Because <laughs> I also was always like, these guys are creepy as hell. These guys are serial killers using a food truck so that they can travel around the world and dispose of the bodies via their grilled cheese sandwiches that they make. I'm convinced that is what's happening. And they are now going to use $50,000 to further their murderous intentions. Um, but yes, thank you, Aaron, as always, for listening and for writing in. Always great questions. So, if we could play any role... The first one that popped into my mind isn't even, I guess, like, to broadly answer the question, I'm not really a fan of, like, trying to recast stuff for things that I like. Like The Office. There are all these, like, you can watch old audition tapes where, like, uh, what's his face? Seth Rogen auditioned for Dwight. Or Patton Oswalt auditioned for Dwight. And Adam Scott, Ben from Parks and Rec, he auditioned for Jim. Like, all these historical, like, these great comedic actors auditioning for roles on The Office. I don't like to go, like, oh, I wish this or that would have happened with this thing I liked. It would be really interesting. Like, it would have been really interesting to see Adam Scott and Patton Oswalt starring in The Office. Like, that would have been fast. Bob Odenkirk was one of the frontrunners for Michael Scott. Like, it would have been a really interesting thing, but I love the thing as it is. I don't want to change it. So, similarly, I don't want to say, like, I love this thing. I would have loved to play this character. Because that could potentially change it for the negative. But, the example that comes to mind for me is JD on Scrubs. This primarily comes to mind because, like, that show started... I would have been too young at the time. I was, like, in early college when that show started. Right? I think so. Um... Or maybe even younger than that. Maybe high school still. But I would have been too young. But I always remember, which is one of the biggest compliments my wife has ever paid to me. When we were in college, we both loved Scrubs. And in season one of Scrubs, the show was way less slapsticky and like kooky. It was a little bit more character comedy than like slapstick comedy. And so she's like, JD in that first season, Shay, you could have totally played that character and been really good at it. And the, again, like that would have really changed the show because I'm not as goofy as Zach Braff as an actor. So the character would not have gone the way that his JD went. But that is a role that I would have loved to play is JD from Scrubs. That's That would have been cool. What about you? Um, I wish I could play Captain Hook from the movie Hook. Hmm. Because he just just because it's a good character, chews the hell out of that scenery, man. And like, yeah. what a fun yeah. set to be on. All those like colors, people of different ages and personalities coming together, playing opposite Robin Williams. What a great sure. opportunity that would be, and what fun you get eaten by an alligator at the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> totally. The only other one that I would say, and this is something that I think is bad, and therefore me doing it would improve it. Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> that's all i really need to say i also I wish i could be tom cruise in any movie 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but would you though? Tom Cruise is so easily watchable. Like that's part of his charm. Right, he's but just he gets good to do all everything. this cool shit. I would want to do true. all that cool shit. But he hurts himself a lot. Well, I yeah. Because he does all his own stunts, man. He's I a badass. I want people. To, I want people idiot, to look at me and be like, "Wow, what a badass!" Yes, you want people to say like, "You're a psychopath, but you're really cool." Right. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Aaron. Uh, and then Steve in DC writes, Shay, I find myself going back to do some retro gaming during this slow period of new releases, and I'm noticing a trend. I do a run-through of Pokemon Crystal once or twice a year on an emulator. A side note, the police are on their way. Uh, Steve, yeah. you are going to be arrested. They know you live in DC. They're coming for you. Emulated, emulation is wrong. It isn't. I don't care. We use emulators I don't want to be right. The newer games have only gotten better with many improvements, but this is the one I keep finding myself going back to. Is it just nostalgia? Will I continue to do this even when Pokemon Sword and Shield releases for Switch? Uh, and then, you know, it's never had a DS or a 3DS, so this will be the first mainline game since Pokemon Emerald on Game Boy Advance. Interesting. Uh, okay, so he writes, Do Kyle and yourself have games that you go back to on a yearly basis out of pure nostalgia? Maybe games you really can't recommend because they don't hold up very well, but hold a special place for either of you. Would love to hear your thoughts and discussion. Thanks, Steve in DC. So I would say the first ones that popped into my mind, well, the first one that pops into my mind is Kingdom Hearts. And that's not that I think the game is bad or that it doesn't hold up necessarily. I just recognize that it is very silly and kind of dumb in its story and like ridiculousness. And that maybe if you are playing Kingdom Hearts, the first game, for the first time right now, it might not hold up because... The combat is very simplified, and it is very childish in its tone. And so maybe... Like, I do believe that when the game came out, it is an amazing game. It is one of my five favorite games of all time. But I think of... My, like, I went and looked at my top 100 games of all time list on com, And I looked at, like, what games do I think are the best games ever made? That was the one that popped out where I'm like, if a new person were to play this, it probably... They would probably be like, I don't get what the deal is with this game. That was the first one that popped into my head. Did you have anything? Uh, well, just kind of to answer his initial question, like, is him going back to Pokemon Crystal nostalgia? Will he continue to do this? Oh, sure. Um, just, I don't know that it's entirely nostalgia-based. I think older games are easier to go back to because in a similar, re- for a similar reason as to, like, why a a lot of people say the book of something is better than the movie of something. Mm-hmm. And it's that older games because they have more limitations your mind gets to fill in the gaps and you get to make more of it what you want it to be as opposed to accepting it for what it is in like newer mediums uh newer games media um like with older pokemon games like you're filling in a lot of the blanks in terms of the universe and how things work and how things function Whereas in the newer games, they f- they they have their own answers for those blanks that might not line up with your old answers. Uh, and so I think it's natural to want to go back to a time where it's more of your Pokemon and less of their Pokemon. Right. Uh, same with other games. So I don't know if it I don't know if that's necessarily nostalgia, like because nostalgia is more of just going back to something for the sake of its familiarity. I think yeah, 
it takes you back to the time that you experienced it for the first time. Right. I think there's definitely an element of that, but I think there's also a greater element of the level of ownership that you can have over a story when it, when the media is more limited. I would also say, and this wouldn't be specific to Pokemon Crystal, but Pokemon in general, like those early games, like I still regularly play red or blue or like, you know, usually fire red or right. gold or something, but those, that gameplay holds up. Right. And so that I don't like, there's no nostalgia, rose tinted glasses to that side of those early Pokemon games. Cause they hold up. Like they're still good and relevant specifically wanting to play Pokemon crystal versus other Pokemon games. Obviously more, some of the more recent ones having never played them, having Steve having never played them makes sense. He wouldn't go back to them, but it being specific to Pokemon crystal I definitely think there would be an element of nostalgia to that. Sure. Because otherwise like, why not play Pokemon crystal this year, but next year I'm going to play green version. And then the next year I'll play soul silver to see what they changed. Like that kind of stuff that you always go back to crystal. There's definitely nostalgia. So I would be curious, like for him to think about what was it with the first time you played Pokemon crystal. And is, is it, is it bringing those memories back? Cause then that is, that's the definition of nostalgia. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I so think do you have like, any games like that. Yes, I do. Like a couple. Cause if we're th- talking like retro, retro, like obviously Resident Evil four is a big one for me. Pokemon Ruby Sapphire are big for me. But if we're talking like older stuff, then I always think about the Genesis and like Vector Man and Kid Chameleon are games that I like to go back to, and that's pure nostalgia, because those are not good games. Okay. Those do not play well. Yes. Um, Correct. I would say Vector Man has very good music and a lot of fun animation, but those games are not good, so I think that's kind of pure mm-hmm. nostalgia for back when I was playing it on like an 8-inch VHS combo TV mm-hmm. um, in my room. Uh, another game I also like to go back to and play a lot is Metal Gear Solid 4. That is my favorite Metal Gear Solid game. It is so very good. And See, I but am... there, there's another one. Like, Do you feel like that game holds up, or yes. are you playing it for the memory? Yeah, so then I, I think don't the think game... it's about nostalgia. Right. I think in Metal Gear Solid 4 specifically, I think that game still plays very well. Yeah. Like um, if, and it's tight. The, the, thing, the thing is, like, if, if you were to introduce someone new to this game, would they find value in it? That's what I think the difference is. Yes, yeah. I think they would find Metal Gear Solid 4 very playable. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, they wouldn't have the same reverence for the story unless they had played the other Metal Gear Solids, right? Yeah. So I think there's that element of it, too, just because it's the nature of it being a sequel. But, like, in terms of Vector Man and Kid Chameleon, I think someone would go back and play those games and be like, this is hard as shit, this music's great, but I don't want to play this because it's very hard and punishing. Yes, <laughs> yes. Because, uh, like, so. think about... Think about Super Mario Brothers. Like, if you go back and play Super Mario Brothers, there's totally a nostalgic element to it because it takes you back to when you were a kid and when you were playing through the first time and, like, that's all you cared about. But those games hold up. Like, those games are still some of the best games ever made. That side of it, there's no nostalgia to it. Like, I could... when When Penny's old enough and I start introducing her to video games, you better believe some of the first games she's gonna play are gonna be Super Mario Brothers. And that's not nostalgia for me. It's these are some of the greatest games ever made, and they are simple enough to where you can play them as a child, but right. complicated enough to where you can only master them as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm coming from. So I would say to the answer your question specifically, Steve, about like 
is your thing for Pokemon Crystal Nostalgia? I would say it's both. I think that that game definitely still holds up to this day. But specifically, because there are so many Pokemon games that are the, basically the same game, that you only go to Pokemon Crystal, there's definitely something about that game and when you played it, what period of your life you were in when you played it for the first time that you're trying to replicate. So I would say it's both. That would be yeah. my my therapist perspective on your Pokemon Crystal playing. Now you see for the email, per usual, send us an email. Info at jhateseverything.com. Write us a review on iTunes. That's the best way to become part of the show. Because we'll read it here and we'll talk about it. Especially especially if you're like ChechiBetcha87 giving probably the greatest review that we could hope to achieve. Great pod. Great content. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, okay. That's it for the podcast. This was a this was a good sized podcast. Even after yeah. going quickly through news, we had all the E three stuff stuff to talk about. It's good. Didn't help that we talked about Game of Thrones and Death Stranding for at least forty minutes each. That is definitely true. <laughs> but look forward to next episodes: hour <laughs> of Game of Thrones, hour of Death Stranding, fifteen minutes of the rest of E three. Yeah. No. We will definitely talk about E3 next episode. We'll we'll see how much there is to talk about E3. I think last year, our like E3 recap episode, that's all we did. And it was still like three hours long. Yeah. I don't even think we talked about stuff we'd been doing. So we'll see how that goes. We'll play it by ear. But next episode will be E3 focused. I am having a difficulty because I like to name the podcasts something fun and relevant to what we talk about. Mixed with... I want people that haven't listened to the podcast before to see the title and for that to be intriguing. So the obvious thing is to call it something to the effect of E3 2019 predictions. Because that's what is relevant. That's what people will talk about and want to hear about. What I want to call this podcast is Ceiling Fan Father's Day. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm weighing those two in my head. Which direction do I want to go? So we'll see. When you're downloading this episode, you know which direction I went. Do I want more listeners? Or do I want a funny joke just for me? (laughs) (laughs) I guess when when you say it that way. Um, But alright. Let's wrap up with something we don't hate. And I don't hate that my daughter usually sleeps for 7-8 to hours a night. Which, by all standards, is phenomenal. Like last night, I mean she was mostly asleep from like 10 to eleven thirty, and then we woke her up to feed her one more time and we went to bed at midnight she woke up at 8 30 this morning slept through the entire night woke up at 8 30 which means i slept through the entire night and woke up at 8 30 which is amazing so i'm very thankful to my super good girl for sleeping through the night and i don't hate summer 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 and uh summer I don't hate summer. Okay. <laughs> Just because you have nothing to do. Because I could be you doing do. four things simultaneously <laughs> for yeah. like a straight 18 hours. That sounds it's glorious. It's the best. Oh. That sounds quite good. I would love to finish recording this podcast, load up a Minecraft world, excuse me, and then throw something on YouTube and watch or like even watch Smallville. While I'm playing Minecraft. You should. I would love to do that. You but you know what I'm going to do when, I, when we finish recording this podcast? Shirk your fatherly responsibilities. Shirk them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go upstairs. 
I'm going to feed my daughter. I'm going to change my daughter. And then I'm probably going to watch my daughter for a couple hours so that my wife can do some stuff. I, I love her. This isn't meant as a negative thing, but I can't do stuff when I want to do it anymore. It just doesn't work that way. Get one of those like chest harnesses and then just wear it while you're at your computer. But the problem is she gets fussy. And when she gets fussy, she needs to be rocked. She needs to be held. Something needs to happen. Because if she was totally asleep and chill, I could just put her in the pillow that we use and just have that on the floor next to me down here. And then she'd be fine. And sometimes that is the case. But like, if I, and maybe the chest thing would help. The issue is it puts her in a position that is not super comfortable for sleeping. Because either she's like banging up and like crouching her head down against my chest or even worse, like back, which she can't do. Or she has to hold her head up. Which is not easy for a baby to do. That is hard work. Building those muscles in her neck. So that, yes, hands-free, awesome. But typically when I am holding her, I have to hold her for her to go to sleep and be chill. Gotcha. She'll get there. And then I'll get back to being good old selfish Shay. Yeah. Someday. Completely. In as soon years. as she walks around, you completely ignore her. Hell yeah. As soon as she starts going to school. Because then, like, she has her own personality. Yeah. She's able to do things. She can wipe her own ass. Like, those That's those are the golden days. Right and there. she's, like, gone for hours at a time. I mean, so am I, but yes. But you can work from home on some days. But I'm still working. <laughs> you think I'm going to play Minecraft? Like, of course. Oh, yeah, sorry, boss. I didn't get that thing done. I was playing Minecraft. <laughs> yeah, of course. At 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. Maybe if you're a teacher, you can do that shit. You cannot work play from Minecraft home as a at work. teacher. <laughs> you guys should do that, like, during one, one day at school. Like, how teachers always show a video. <laughs> like, if they want to waste a day, just play Minecraft for the kids. They'd probably like that more. Yeah. It's still oh, educational. College. Hey everybody, it's Mr. Castle here, and uh, bringing you another Minecraft <laughs> Let's Play. Like, rate, and subscribe, or you're failing this class. <laughs> if you want to go to the bathroom, uh, give me a like. <laughs> Comment below if you need to pee. Alright, that's it. Check out ShayHatesEverything.com for the show notes, for some other shit. Write us an email, leave us a review. Listen to the next episode. That's all we're asking. Just those four things. In perpetuity. Do those and we'll be best friends. What'd you say? In perpetuity, though. In perpetuity. For Every all, other for all of forever. That is not a big commitment. Every other week, do those things. You don't, and you don't even need to write a review every... You only have to do that once. This is not hard, guys. This is what we need to do is insult our listeners into doing what we want them to do. This isn't on, hard, guys. you lazy pieces of... <laughs> you idiots. I know we have more than two listeners. We have at least five. No, no more, more than. <laughs> but there are other people who are capable of writing an email than just Steve and Aaron. We've got other emails in the past. We got an email from a dude named Adam once. Yeah. Back in like episode like 10. Where did Adam Where the hell go? are you, Adam? Are you okay? Where the hell are you? <laughs> he probably bailed he got caught playing he emulators not better watch out Steve uh, alright we'll see you guys in the next one talk about E3 peace out